Petros deals with problems raised by trainee doctors and reiterated in a recent report by the Care Quality Commission. The hospital's acting chief executive, Stephen Conroy, is determined to turn things around. The hospital's here to stay. You know, it's a big hospital in a big town. We run a, you know, an excellent maternity unit, fully staffed A&E. We need to get the paediatric services back. But we are a proper hospital providing all services to local people. And I think that has to stay. I don't see any solutions around us that could provide the services we, we do in other places. We just need to make sure it provides the best service in the most modern way. The Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt is seeking urgent clarification from the Attorney General for the decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging illegal abortions based on the sex of unborn babies. The Crown Prosecution Service decided that although there was enough evidence, pursuing the case would not have been in the public interest. A tree planting ceremony is taking place today at the site of a new incinerator at Calvert in Buckinghamshire. Lee Agnew has more. Plans to build the controversial energy from waste plant were given the go-ahead last year and construction work gets underway today. The facility will take three years to build and will process 300,000 tonnes of waste annually, generating enough electricity to power 36,000 homes. FCC Environment have signed a contract to run the plant for the next 30 years, a deal which is claimed will eventually save the taxpayer more than £150 million. The government spending watchdog has strongly criticised efforts to reform the welfare system. The National Audit Office says the introduction of universal credit has been rushed, poorly managed and hampered by a costly and failing IT system. In sport, Rafa Nadal threw to the US Open semi-finals tennis for a fifth time after thrashing his compatriot Tommy Robredo in straight sets. And the weather. Early mist will clear to give us a hot, sunny day with a top temperature of 30 degrees Celsius. That's 59 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash counties. You know that's harassment, don't you? Harassment. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six, it's Thursday. Shall we? We might as well, mightn't we? Be rude not to. Lots coming up on the show today. Including, I'll be speaking to Keith Hyatt, one of the two men wrongly convicted of murdering the teenager Rachel Manning in Milton Keynes 13 years ago. Well, he served three years in prison for something he didn't do, and he says it could happen to anyone. Do you use e-cigarettes? EU proposals are due to be voted on next week that would see them to be treated in the same way as medicines. It means they'd be harder to get hold of. Should there be tighter regulations on who uses these e-cigarettes? And do you agree with me? The people that do use them, and they smoke them in restaurants and clubs and things, are a bit smug. And just a few weeks after it wasn't OK to fall for a teacher... Remember Jeremy French? It seems it's a popular subject in today's papers because Pippa Middleton, yes, I know, says she used to fancy her hockey teacher. Well, everyone's had a crush on their teacher, haven't they? Mrs Routledge, anybody? Oh, dear, when she used to lean over the desk in English. My, my, my. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. This is uh, an incredible story that we've been following very closely. A man 
has been found guilty of murdering a teenager in Milton Keynes nearly 13 years ago. Rachel Manning's body was discovered at Woburn Golf Course in December 2000. 41-year-old Tandoori chef Shahid Al-Ahmed from Bletchley was sentenced to life imprisonment for her murder and told he will serve a minimum of 17 years. Well, our reporter Richard Williams has been following the case. Joins me now. Richard, what happened in court? Well, yesterday in court number one, the jury of five women and seven men returned a verdict over the third third day of deliberation of guilty. As the verdict was read out in court, Shahid, Shahid Al-Ahmed was in the dock. He hung his head and continued to stare at the floor. Uh, the family of Rachel Manning who were there, including Rachel Manning's parents, Liz Manning, uh, clearly a very emotional occasion for them and they were breaking down as clear as you could clearly expect. Obviously for them, uh, yesterday was the end of a very long road, 13 years to find who actually killed their daughter. Mr. Just, uh, Justice Wilkie told Shahid Al-Ahmed he will serve a minimum of 17 years behind bars for Rachel's murder. He said it's gone on for a long time. Give us the background to this case for those who might not remember it. Yeah, what's really unusual about this case in is the length of time it's going. What you've got about to think about in this case, you've got obviously a young girl who's been tragically murdered. You've got not one, but two men who were mm. wrongly convicted. You've got a family who've had to cope with the loss of their daughter. But not only that, they've had to relive that not one, but four times in court. You've also, on top of that, then got a man who's thought he's got away with murder for 10 years and a good Samaritan who unwittingly helped solve a 13-year murder. Now, as I say, it's 12 years, nearly 13 years. Let's go back to December 2000. Rachel Manning attends a fancy dress party with her boyfriend, Barry White. This is in Milton Keynes. From there, they go on to Chicago's nightclub. Now, after in the early hours of that morning, Rachel and Barry get into an argument. Barry goes to a friend's house and Rachel leaves as well. Later on, she makes a phone call where she's lost. Now, Barry White, who's at Keith Heights' house, says that they will go and pick Rachel up from outside the Blockbuster store. They arrange to meet her and go there, and she's not there. Now, two days later, Rachel's body is found at Woburn Golf Course. This is some eight miles away from mm. where she disappeared. Now, obviously, at the time then, uh, Barry White, who was the boyfriend, became the chief suspect in that murder case. He was actually tried for a murder and found guilty. Keith Hyatt, his friend, was also uh, tried, and he was... Um, sent down for also his part in helping to conceal the body. Barry White serves six years in prison. Mm. Keith Hyatt comes out, obviously served his time. Um, Then the BBC Rough Justice programme picks it up. They are unconvinced by the evidence in terms of Barry White and Keith Hyatt. And from there, there's a convictions of quast and a retrial. And then after that... um, Barry White has his conviction quashed. Now, yesterday outside court, I spoke to Keith Hyatt on the evidence in terms of his reaction to the verdict. I'm just still in total shock. I mean, uh, I don't think it's really gone, you know, gone into me yet. It's, it's just, just shock, absolute shock. I mean, it's been a long, long, long time coming. But at long last, you know, we can say to anyone now, we're innocent. We were always innocent of this crime, as we said all, all along. So how did uh, Shahid Al-Ahmed, the, the man guilty of this, come to the attention of the police? Well, in 2010, Shahid Al-Ahmed was arrested for the sexual assault of a woman. And at that time, uh, a good Samaritan had actually seen the woman get out of Shahid Al-Ahmed's car and reported the registration number. What that man didn't realise at the time, he was actually helping solve a 13-year, uh, 13-year murder mystery because the DNA that was taken from uh, Shahid Al-Ahmed matched the DNA on the steering lock which had been used to batter Rachel Manning's face uh, when it had actually been found. Now, in February, Shahid Al-Ahmed went on trial for the murder of Rachel Manning. At that time, 
the jury couldn't come to a decision and failed to reach a verdict. But yesterday there was no doubt as the jury came back and delivered the verdict of guilty uh, unanimously. Now outside court yesterday, Ben Gumpen, who's the barrister for the prosecution, said it was that chain of events in 2000 that led to the successful prosecution of Shahid al-Ahmed. We may never know for sure what happened or why Shahid al-Ahmed murdered Rachel Manning. What we do know is that Ahmed is an extremely dangerous man who was convicted recently of a sexual assault against another young woman. If it hadn't been for his arrest on that offence, Ahmed may never have been brought to justice for Rachel's murder. It's thanks to developments in DNA evidence techniques that we've been able to secure this conviction today. What have Rachel's parents said about the sentence? Yeah, Rachel's mum, Liz Manning, yesterday she gave a press conference after the verdict and she was uh, didn't criticise the police or CPS, who I think will come in for some criticism mm. at some point because of the chain events, but she also wanted to take time to praise the jury for what they'd done. We are relieved with the verdict that has been reached today and appreciate that although the jury has been presented with many complexities during the evidence, they've been able to reach what we consider a just conclusion. Now, that was Liz Manning talking there, but then Liz Manning went on during that press conference to say her daughter would still be alive today if Barry White had not abandoned her that evening. We believe Rachel would still be with us today if she'd not been abandoned by her boyfriend the night she was attacked, killed and brutally battered. We cannot forget that. But we'd like to remind everyone that this case has been about Rachel, who was killed at the young age of 19 with her whole adult life before her. This has been denied not only to her and us, her family, but also her friends, who still miss her deeply. What did the judge say in his sentencing remarks? Yeah, well, Mr Justice Wilkie said Rachel had much to look forward to and was relishing the challenges that life that bring. And then he addressed Shahid Al-Ahmed directly in court and said, tragically, at the age of 19, you, Shahid Al-Ahmed, snuffed all that out, driven, it would seem, by the same demons which led you to commit that sexual assault in 2010. Now, Mr Justice Wilkie also made reference to the injustice of Barry White and Keith Hyatt, saying that for almost 10 years you lived undetected with the knowledge of what you had done. And perhaps a final word, Mr Justice Wilkie addressed the family of Rachel Manning in court directly. He praised them on the calmness and the dignity that has shown through all of the trials and his final words really did probably catch it up most pointedly. I can only admire the stoicism you have shown in the court and convey to you my most profound sympathy over the loss of your daughter. Rachel, at everything that's happened since then until today. Well, it's a terrible story, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. We'll be speaking to Keith Hyatt, one of the gentlemen who was uh, arrested and served time in prison for his, well, involvement in the murder, which turns out he had no involvement whatsoever. We'll be finding out uh, his side of the story. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR, and we'll speak to you after a little bit of Etta James.
isn't it? I don't think I've ever sat down and listened to that. It's it's some silly advert or something. It's one of those songs that's always around but you don't take the time to sit down and listen to it. That's lovely. We'll have some of that please. Thank you very much. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 We'll be talking about those e-cigarettes later on. Those those cigarettes that aren't cigarettes and you can smoke them indoors and I mean, I've seen people smoking them in pop concerts and restaurants. Oh, there's something smug about them, isn't there? Oh, there's something very, very smug about those people. 08459 455 555 615. Let's get the travel with Russell Holding. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, morning, Ian. I'm not pushed to find any problems, really. All the major routes seem to be moving relatively well. I'm not aware of any accidents or incidents. There is a, a little section of the A41 towards London, uh, which looks uh, very slow, from just off junction 19 of the uh, M25, really. It's the bit that goes past the A405 for a short stretch, looking a little bit busy uh, towards Garston, but, I mean, it's bound to busy up a bit more later on. A few roads around St Albans look like they're busying up a little bit. The A4147 uh, is uh, building up on the approaches you head into Albans uh, towards the uh, roundabout at the junction with King Harry Lane. M1 and M25 those seem to be largely okay as far as I can see. Train services uh, doing alright. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Russell, that's what we like. Thank you. Right, it's 6.16. It's Thursday the uh, 5th of September. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The conviction of 41-year-old Shahid Al-Ahmed for the murder of Rachel Manning has been welcomed by two men who were wrongly convicted of the crime. Barry White and Keith Hyatt say they finally feel vindicated. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, is seeking urgent clarification from the Attorney-General for the decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging illegal abortions based on the sex of unborn babies. In sport, Rafa Nadal is through to the US Open semi-finals tennis tennis for a fifth time after three thrashing his compatriot Tommy Robredo in straight sex. Sex, I did say it. I did say sex. 
Coming up, e-cigarettes. Do you smoke them? Well, you might need to get a prescription to use them. If the old EU get their way, then we'll have to queue up to get straight bananas as well. No, oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from 12, Nick Coffer brings you... We're talking antics and connectables. It doesn't have to be old things. These anxieties that you have, when you get rid of this first one, you'll find that all these other things that you're talking about can fall into place. Nick Coffer. We've had some great music today. The Beatles, ABBA, Smokey Robinson, Adele, Pink Floyd. Nick Coffer. I am wearing bright purple jeans. Weekdays from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. What, what, what? You've come in all mysterious, like. What was that for? No, I'm not being mysterious at all. I just brought you a photograph. You might like to use it later. What's this? It's called a touchwood. I'm off. <laughs> Did I say? <laughs> Very rarely do I get to touch wood these days. I don't... Um, I, well, uh, the mysterious. That was producer Tara. She slunk in. Like, you know the way cats kind of... Suddenly, the, you're in a room, there's no cats. You look around, suddenly there's a cat next to you. No, she did that. Speaking of cats, rabbits. Uh, for, you know I've got this blooming rabbit that, that I got for free from Ollie the Cleaner. Thanks, a free rabbit. So far it's cost me £300. Yeah, I know. That's some free rabbit. I lost it this morning. I, I forgot... I forgot to uh, shut the, um, the rabbit hutch yesterday. I know. And I was downstairs at four o'clock in the morning thinking, oh... Oh, I forgot to shut the rabbit hutch. I wonder if my wife... Sh- oh, the rabbit hutch is open! So I went out into the garden, pitch black, four o'clock in the morning, just to check that the rabbit was in its little um, run. The rabbit had gone. Not in the hutch, not in the run, not under the hutch, not nowhere. So for half an hour, at four o'clock in the morning, I'm wandering around my garden in the dark going, Benji! Benji! Benji Bunny! Where are you? I managed to catch the little so-and-so. It took me 30 minutes. Thanks, Benji. Benji! Benji Bunny! Where are you? Like a rabbit's going to say, I'm over here! I don't think rabbits even recognise their names, do they? It's not a Cockney accent, it's a whisper. Benji! Benji! Where are you? I'm going to shank you. phoning in to complain I said shank not what you think I said just calm down right calm down
Oh. Trying to kill her. Come on. <laughs> you feeling good? You, you hit it. I'm feeling really butch. that song the instrumental it is it's like starsky and hutch or kojak music they're chasing that drug lord morning this is ian lee bbc three counties radio should there be tighter regulations on who can use e-cigarettes eu proposals are due to be voted on next week that would see e-cigarettes treated in the same way as medicines could mean you'd have to get a prescription to use them. It's all part of a draft law to make smoking less attractive to the young. Well, we sent our reporter, Sophie Solari, over to Kings Langley to ask people what they think about e-cigarettes. Morning, Sophie. What have people been saying? People have been telling me that it's absolutely ridiculous to be putting these on prescription or regulating them because, quite frankly, they're not cigarettes. And actually, a lot of people really quite liked them. Well, a lot of people like smoking dope, but do you know what I mean? There are rules against it. Well... I know, but if people aren't smoking the um, the, the normal cigarettes, yep. then I suppose people think that this is a really good alternative. Well, let's have a listen to what people said. I think they're a good idea. Uh, at the end of the day, my mum's uh, been using them since January, and she hasn't touched this normal cigarette. So how often does she smoke them? More than she would a normal cigarette? No, no, same as she does. It's like she's still smoking normally, but not smoking normally, because she's not smoking a normal cigarette. Do you think there should be more regulations on them, seeing as they've got nicotine in them? No. No. They should be available to whoever needs them. They shouldn't be banned or you've got to go through your doctor to go and get them, because that's just stupid. So how do we stop the children getting them online? And The online, I suppose, in a way, don't sell them online. OK, companies are going to lose a little bit of business, but what's not to hurt the local shops, well, they'll get some business. Um, to save the high street using e-cigarettes. Exactly, why not? <laughs> so, madam, you smoke? I do. How often do you smoke? Uh, a lot. Do you? Yes, I smoke about 15 a day. Would you ever consider swapping to the e-cigarette? I have thought about it, because my son has done that, and he gave up smoking just over a year ago. But he hasn't given up smoking, he's still smoking the e-cigarettes! Sophie, thank you very much indeed. Well, there are plenty of people opposed to the uh, changes in the law. Vicky Ford is a Conservative MEP for the East of England. Morning, Vicky. Good morning. You've already vo- voiced your opposition to the changes. Why? Well, I'm not against regulating these it, it, to a certain extent, but this very heavy-handed regulation that is proposed here, as you said, maybe getting a prescription, um, could end up you know, people just not being able to get a hold of the product. And I've had hundreds and hundreds of letters, individual letters, for people who've come off cigarettes and are using these electronic cigarettes. And, of course, it's better not to smoke at all or to try and quit completely. But, you know, some people have really struggled with that and they're finding that this electronic means of dispensing to, to, 
uh, nicotine, which is not smoking. You know, you're not getting all that tar from the smoking. You are getting the nicotine, but not the smoke. They have found this has really helped them to quit um, the traditional cigarette. So some people would say this is useful aid to stop smoking normal cigarettes, but they're still indulging in, in their addiction, aren't they? Well, as I say, you know, much better not to start in the first place, much better to try and quit completely. But what I have found is that hundreds of people have said have written to me saying this has helped me get off smoking tobacco. And if you take away the e-cigarette now, then I'm going to go back to tobacco. So I want, before we have a vote and decide on a regulation, I want it to be much, much clearer exactly what that regulation could be. You know, the manufacturers here, they're not opposed to a regulation. They're not opposed to having to give batch samples, to having to prove what their product is. But they don't want to end up that this is some sort of prescription-only medicine. And it's that uncertainty. The manufacturers, of course, don't want it to end up as a prescription-based thing because they'll lose a shed load of money. Well, the other people who don't want to, who are pushing for this, and this is what worries me, the people who are pushing for this, are the big tobacco companies. Because they want to get this product off and get all those people back on their Marlboro. You know, that is not... Um, a good good outcome either. So I think we need to take more time. I'm fed up with seeing heavy-handed EU legislation, which incidentally here is being pushed by the British Labour MEPs. I want to take a bit more time and try and get the right sort of regulation. Why is the EU proposing this then? What's what's the benefit to well, them? As I said, the, the, the MEP who's proposing this most is a British Labour MEP. Right. So, but, but, but why? Um, well, she's saying we need regulation. This is the opportunity. Let's do it now because we have this tobacco product directive. I'm saying let's take a bit more time. This market is moving really, really quickly. Let's go and listen to the people who are using this and see whether or not we can regulate it in a way that helps people get off traditional cigarettes um, without bringing more risk. I'd say again, much better not to start smoking. Just stop smoking. Just quit smoking. Sorry? Just quit sm- Hey, smokers, just well, quit smoking. Yes, but do you know what? It is really difficult. So I know I'm an ex-smoker. It took I'm an ex-smoker. a long time. So I know I now don't smoke at all. But there are many people who have used this product to get off smoking. And I don't want to send them back. Vicky, thanks very much for your time this morning. Vicky Ford, Conservative MEP for the East of England. Well, I, a couple of things, I suppose, really. What well, do you think e-cigarettes should be regulated? That's the first thing. Vicky is, uh, 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 of course, against it. Have you given up smoking? I was a smoker. Oh, I was a heavy smoker. Roll-ups. Oh, God, what a dirty tramp. I stopped. Uh, nine, years, nine years in February, it'll be. I stopped smoking. It was hard, but I did it. And once I did it, it was... I, I, I gave up with the Alan Carr book. Did, read the book a few times. Wallop. Stopped. Forget your patches. There's no point in them. You can't give up if you're replacing it with something else. Nicotine patches, nicotine gum, or, or, or e-cigarettes. So if you've tried to give up, how hard did you find it? And also, a slightly side issue here that I think we can indulge in. There is something a little bit smug about these smokers of these e-cigarettes. They call it vaping. I refuse to use that term. It's a made-up term, made up by the e-cigarette companies to make it sound hipper. There's something smug about them because they can smoke... I was doing a stand-up gig a few years ago in this little club. 
Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones wandered in late, sat down at the front, started talking to some young bird, and then sparked up an e-cigarette. And I thought, you smug, wrinkly old man. They're smug people, these e-cigarette smokers, aren't they? 08459 455 555. Half past six, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel now with Russell. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, morning in. Uh, no accidents that I'm aware of, but the M25 starting to busy up through the roadworks clockwise. It looks very slow halfway between junctions 24 and 25 from Potters Bar to the A10, and then anti-clockwise approaching and just past junction 25 for a short stretch. It's very slow. The M1 doing okay, just busying up a little bit halfway between junctions 9 and 8, uh, the bit from the A5 down towards Hemel Hempstead. Hemel Hempstead Road is very slow into St Albans, approaching the roundabout at the junction with King Harry Lane. There's also a short queue on Catherine Street, approaching the St Peter's Street roundabout in the centre of St Albans. Everything else certainly looks to be moving pretty well from what I can see. Train services seem OK. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Russell. 6.31, let's get the news and sport now. Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The conviction of 41-year-old Jahid Al-Ahmed for the murder of Rachel Manning has been welcomed by two men who were wrongly jailed for the crime. Barry White and Keith Hyatt say they finally feel vindicated. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, is seeking urgent clarification from the Attorney-General for the decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging illegal abortions based on the sex of the unborn babies. And Bedford Hospital bosses say they hope to be in a position to restore children's services there as early as October. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Rafa Nadal is through to the US Open semi-finals for a fifth time after thrashing his compatriot Tommy Robredo in straight sets. David Law was watching at Flushing Meadows. This was a breathtaking performance from Nadal which underlined his position as the favourite to win the title. His opponent Robredo had beaten Roger Federer in straight sets in the previous round but it took him 40 minutes just to win a game. He won only four in total as Nadal stepped inside the baseline, bossing rallies with extraordinary aggression. The only time Nadal has lost to his semi-final opponent, Richard Gasquet, was in the Under-14 World Championships. It'll take a very special performance for the Frenchman to triumph in his first US Open semi-final. Earlier, the women's world number two, Victoria Azarenka, set up a semi-final against Flavia Panetta with a straight sets win over Daniela Hantuchova. And in the in the football, the new FA chairman, Greg Dyke, says more homegrown players are the key to meeting his ambitious goal of seeing England win the World Cup in 2022. A quota system is one of the measures he'll consider introducing. Going forward, we will certainly give ourselves a much better chance of winning tournaments if we have a bigger talent pool of players to pick from which means having more English players who are consistent starters in the Premier League. The president of the International Olympic Committee, Jacques Rogge, says his organisation will consider whether Russia's Yelena Isimbayeva could be dropped as an Olympic ambassador following her comments about homosexuals. The world pole vault champion later said her comments had been misunderstood. And that's the latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at seven o'clock. OK. Right. Some good names there. <laughs> some they're not strictly mm. no you did some good names is in Bayeva was right it was the hunter whatever i'm gonna have to work on that compatriot compat oh, fair enough okay and but you are wrong about harassment i'm not it's harassment no it's not what well, if you're american no it, it's, it's supposed to rhyme with embarrassment where, where which you is got- what you are <laughs> 
Where have you... We'll have words later. Where, I had a very posh English teacher. I, I doubt it. Oh, I did. You were up north. No, I wasn't. I moved here when I was ten. For goodness sake, let, let me get look, let me get a word in edgeways. On, it's like on. it's like talking to one of these... yourself. Oh, for goodness sake! Shut up, woman. So, where did you learn that embarrassment? No, hang on. What is it? Harassment has harassment. to rhyme. Yeah, has to ride, rhyme with embarrassment. I had a very, very, very posh English teacher called Mr. Black Hawkins. Did used you to talk like that? Here's something. Did you used to fancy Mr. Black Hawkins? No. Did you fancy any of your teachers? Uh. There weren't that many male teachers, so if you got one under 25, you had a look. But I didn't fancy them, no. Get this, the front page... The front page of the Daily Telegraph, which is becoming more and more like the Daily Star every single day. Mm. The front page is um, Middleton. No, not that one. Pippa Middleton. Right. Pippa, my schoolgirl crush. Pippa Middleton has revealed in an article for The Spectator... This is the front page of the Daily Telegraph. She had a schoolgirl crush on one of her teachers, her undeniably fanciable hockey coach. Find out who, page three. We go to page three. Is he undeniably fanciable? No, he's bald. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure Mr Markham was a lovely bloke, but he's bald with pointy ears. Oh, he looks a bit like Prince Charles. Oh. Uh, but then there's a picture of, of Pippa and Kate, um, 16-year-old girls in their hockey uniforms. It feels a little bit... Like an excuse? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Mrs Routledge. Oh, really? Mrs Routledge, the English teacher, older woman, older, sexier woman, and boy, when she leant over the desk to correct your English, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Good. Harassment. Harassment. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. There you go. If anyone knows the correct pronunciation of harassment, har- harassment, do please give us a call. 084. It's going to be one of those shows, I think, today. Nitpicky. We're going to be picking nits. 08459 455 555. It's harassment, isn't it? It's harassment, not harassment. How do you pronounce that? And did you have a crush on any of your teachers? Of course you did. Of course you did. There was also Miss Kingshot, the uh, young... She was probably about 23 history teacher, 23-year-old history teacher, also taught sports. So in history, she'd be in there in a, in a tracksuit. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What teachers did you fancy? Let's try and keep it as clean as we can, please, even though... Uh, well, yeah, no, let's, let's d- try that. 08459 455 555. Harassment.
BBC Three Counties Radio. Here's something. If you get 12 points on your licence, you lose your licence, right? Right? Not always. Not by a long shot. A woman from West London managed to accumulate 42 points and was still driving around in her car. Well, it tallies with the uh, what BBC Three Counties Radio found via a Freedom of Information request that nearly 600 motorists living in the local area were driving with the maximum 12 or more points on their licence. Those figures were revealed in 2011, and it would appear the situation hasn't really changed. I'm joined now by Kevin Delaney, who's Head of Road Safety with the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Kevin, I always thought you got 12 points, that was it, you, you got taken off the road. It, it would appear it's not the case. No, that's right. It, it isn't the case. Uh, the, the, the law says that, you know, if you rack up 12 points, then the court must disqualify you unless they are able to say, certify that there are special reasons for not doing so. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is, is a combination of factors. Um, first and foremost, there will be uh, a number of cases of genuine special reasons, um, ex- exceptional hardship, that sort of thing. And when the economy, is, as it is, ain't great, then that's probably going to be a much easier one. The idea you lose your licence, you lose your job, the family you know, sort of suffers and so on and so forth. Exceptional cases become much easier to plead. And, and, uh, and if you look at on the, if you Google in uh, penalty points, you will find lots and lots of firms of solicitors more than willing to help you, for a fee of course, with your, with your plea of special reasons. 
Um, another sort of a special reason, it, it actually occurred, sort of in, involves fleet managers. And this, I think, is where, is, is where the, the and, I, and I say I think, is where the Isleworth lady comes in. Fleet managers have a legal responsibility every time a driver is caught committing an offence and not actually sort of physically caught by the police, of identifying the driver. Uh, and if you fail to do, or if they fail to do so, then they commit an offence for which they can, can and do receive penalty points. So if a fleet manager ah. is not on top of his or her job, then, you know, they can very quickly rack up quite a lot of penalty points. So I, I think, you know, that, that there are those. There is also, and, you know, I hate to say this in this, this age of technology, um, a great deal of inefficiency in the various IT systems um, surrounding the, the, you know, the, the communication between the driver licensing agency, they're the people who know how many points we have on our license, and the courts, and the courts themselves. And so what happens is that the magistrates or the people actually dishing out the penalties uh, following a fixed penalty notice don't necessarily have access to all the information about previous convictions and points and it also allows the same defendant to make multiple pleas of special circumstances in different courts because of course you know, the system ain't great and the courts don't, aren't in a position to tell each other. Oh, it, it, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's one of these. It should never happen, but unfortunately, I think the IT system surrounding this has been developed piecemeal. There are, I was going to say, gaps. They're not gaps. They're, they're sort of like you know, sort of huge open doors, really. So, is it easy to plead special circumstances? You go in, you you got your twelve points. You go, ah, yes, but I, if I don't have a car, I can't get to work. I can't feed my kids. I can't go and visit my sick mum. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure about the sick mum, but yes, sir, you know, and any, anybody, it is open to anybody who is facing you know, disqualification under the totting scheme to plead special circumstances. Um, and I think, as I say, I think that the magistrates and local judges are probably in you know, these times you know, more receptive to these sorts of pleas. Mm. Um, it's, it's one of these, you know, if you imagine yourself hearing a case like this, the defendant appears before you, um, person with, you know, no other, otherwise unblemished character who is going to lose his or her job. Um, their, their family circumstances will, you know, will go down the pan very quickly. It's very easy to be, to take a sympathetic line. The difficulty, of course, is in what you don't, you don't know first and foremost if they're telling you the truth, although there are, you know, there are quite sort of strong penalties for people who don't, but you don't know that they may not have made exactly the same plea at a different court. I was going to say in a different part of the country, perhaps even a different court in a different part of the county, um, you know, sort of six months ago. Kevin, how many points have you got? I'm happy to say I haven't got any at all. Now, that may, the, the, you know, let, let me be clear that this, you know, luck may play a part in this. None of us, believe me, none of us is perfect. Kevin, thank you very much for your time and indeed your honesty. Kevin Delaney, Head of Road Safety with the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Go on then. I'm asking you to be honest. Who's going to be honest and say, yeah, I've got 12 points, got 15 points, I'm still driving around. I pleaded special circumstances. Is that you? Because there are lots of people. Nearly 600 motorists in the three counties have got 12 or more points. Are you one of them? I've got six. I've got six. I had nine at one point. I hate it. It's my worst thing when you get that letter. You think, oh, God, not again. Not again. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. 
Two questions. Should people who've got 12 or more points be instantly banned from driving? Have you got 12 or more points? You've got to be honest. 08459 455 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the M1 is starting to look very slow southbound now from Junction 10 down to 9 from Luton Airport down to the A5. Very slow on the M25 through the roadworks each way in. Clockwise going towards Junction 24 at Potter's Bar. Anti-clockwise 26 to 25 from Waltham Abbey to the A10. The A1M is slow southbound around Junction 7 uh, which is the uh, the Stevenage south turn. And I can see a bit of a queue on the northbound side of the High Street uh, through Harpenden. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Russell. 6.47, it's Wednesday. No, it's not. It's Thursday. Oh, a day closer to the weekend. Uh, I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The conviction of a, a 41-year-old Shahid al-Ahmed for the murder of Rachel Manning has been welcomed by two men who were wrongly jailed for the crime. Barry White and Keith Hyatt say they finally feel vindicated. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, is seeking urgent clarification from the Attorney-General for the decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging illegal abortions based on the sex of unborn babies. In sport, Rafa Nadal is through to his fifth US Open semi-final after crushing straight sets victory over fellow Spaniard Tommy Robredo. Coming up, some good news about Bedford Hospital. I'm joking, it's more bad news about Bedford Hospital, of course. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. What's the latest? We'll find out after the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. Well, today's the last blast of summer. It's not going to be hot, I don't think, for uh, quite some time yet. But uh, today, yeah, we could be seeing uh, 28, 29 degrees Celsius. I think somewhere across the three counties, we might even get to 30 or even 31 degrees, 88 in Fahrenheit. Certainly hot, certainly sunny, lots of blue skies out there. But it's a rather misty, foggy start to the morning. That should disperse over the next couple of hours or so. And from there on in, well, it's going to be pretty nice day really some high temperatures around as i said and the small chance of seeing one or two showers pop up perhaps into tonight's rush hour late afternoon first part of the evening but most places are going to stay dry overnight tonight we are going to see the changes so we've got the cloud thickening and eventually some outbreaks of rain spreading in from the west but probably not until we get towards dawn tomorrow temperatures down to 14 15 degrees celsius still a fairly mild night but it is going to feel cooler tomorrow there'll be outbreaks of rain throughout the course of the day some of them will be heavy at times and we've lost a good 10 degrees somewhere along the way as well um highs of only around 18 19 degrees celsius perhaps 66 in fahrenheit it is going to stay cool over the course of the weekend lots of dry weather around but also the risk of seeing one or two showers as well and some of those could be heavy in places that's the forecast thanks chuck this week on eastenders mr mitchell can you hear me we need to get him out of here now Phil's been in an accident. His car crash lies really bad. A battle over business and love shows no signs of slowing down. But when they searched the house, they found tools. You know, things needed to cut the brakes. And in Albert Square, there's only room for one top dog. Let's do it, Max. Phil, he's hanging on for dear life from what I've heard. EastEnders. It's obvious what's going on here, isn't it? Carl, stitching me up. Tonight at 7.30 on BBC One and BBC One HD. Why? Um, Dave's in Luton. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Ian. Dave, what can I do for you this morning? 
Harass- it is har- harassment. Harassment? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, you... I'm right, and Ka- you've you basically phoned up to say that Catherine Boyle, our newsreader, is a dunce and should be, uh, go and stand on the naughty step. No, that's harassment to Catherine when well, you're saying she's a dunce. Well, that's but, harassment. Okay, but she, right, but, but she is wrong. Well, she is wrong, sadly. And but, I um, am that, right? Well, you are for the first time, in a sense, but this is what you call you called upon me in the mornings when I'm on the phone. Harassment. Well, not technically harassment. If it's warranted, it's warranted. No, no, it's not warranted. But um, this licence business, 42 points. Yes. This is... No, I can't understand. I've never known this before. I've never heard it before. Well, you're but hearing it now. A, but, but this is outrageous. So, in other words, uh, the biggest people, say like lorry drivers... Yes, sir. They're the biggest ones, or, or, or any driver, like bus drivers, what? could get away with this, or the, these, um, you know, point business. Yes. Because they could... Well, what about a murderer? Sorry? Say he's a lorry driver, and he's a murderer. He goes to court, oh, you can't put me into prison, because I can't do my job, and it's going to harm my family. What a... I've never, I've never well, hang heard on a of second. it in we, my we, life. We, Dave, 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 you've extrapolated quite a lot there from a woman driving around with 42 points. You've suddenly gone to a lorry driver who's um, got points, I think, but is also a murderer, and he can't go to prison for the murder or the points because of his family. Yeah, this, well, the harmless is on his family. It's the same thing as that lady for the 42 points. The, the, a, a lorry driver murdering... Uh, suddenly, I, 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 I'm not respecting your authority on the pronunciation either. A, a lorry driver murdering someone is not the same as a lady with 42 no, no. points. No, I'm just stating he's done a crime on his car, uh, in his lorry. He, murder, he, he did the murder in the lorry? Yeah. Ah, that changes it slightly. Yeah, uh, sorry. Um, you didn't make that clear? No, no, Okay. Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> but the thing, he murdered someone in the lorry. Now, is he going to turn around and say to the judge, oh, don't put me into prison because it's going to harm my family? There's a strong chance he might. And what would well, you, What do you think the judge's response should be to that lorry murderer? Well, I, I can't say over the phone, can, no. over the radio, no. can I? But um, the thing is, yes. when they do this crime, it's going to be a... a yeah. And I, I'm okay. hoping now for everyone yeah. hearing this... Who's got a job driving? Don't do murders in your vehicle, Dave. Oh. Didn't I? Didn't I ban you yesterday? Yeah, for one day. Get off. For the rest of the year, he's banned. How does he keep getting through the system? How on earth does he keep doing that? Thank you, Dave. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, more bad news for Bedford Hospital. After recent criticism by the Care Quality Commission and the loss of some of its children's services, it's now predicting a budget deficit which could be as high as three and a half million pounds. The announcement came at yesterday's Hospital Trust annual general meeting. Our reporter Tara Gungafall is here to tell us more. It just keeps getting worse and worse. What happened at the meeting, Tara? Well, Bedford Hospital NHS Trust reported on the highs and lows of the past financial year. And I must admit, we do a lot of stories about Bedford Hospital on this programme. And sometimes it, it makes me quite sad being a Bedford resident that yep. all this is, is coming from Bedford. Mm. Um, I, like many other people, have um, enjoyed the hospitality of Bedford Hospital at different times. And they've always been very good. That's my experience. But... A lot of good Obviously, people working there. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. So it's very disappointing for them when they hear uh, about Bedford Hospital in the news. But anyway, 
yesterday it accepted some of its failings and it tried to focus on some of the positives as well. There are around about 50 people made up of hospital board members there, other staff, members of the public, um, representatives of patient groups and voluntary organisations, as well as the press. Um, and the hospital announced that it's facing a budgetary deficit for the financial year 2013-14, but it does hope it can avoid that, as the hospital's acting chief executive, Stephen Conroy, explained. We're working on a deficit budget at the moment of £3.6 million. So that's the, the target we've been set. If we can improve on that, then we'd very much like to. Are you confident you will reduce it? I'm confident that the team will do everything they can to get there, but we need the support of other people. If there are more services that can be provided in the community to stop people being admitted unnecessarily, then that would help us a lot. So we want to work with our partners in, in the CCG and in social services to see what we can do for the winter when things get really busy. Is that figure likely to be reduced, Tara? Where can the hospital hope to make additional savings? Well, it's looking to make savings for the following year, which it might be able to implement sooner. And the hospital says if it provides the best standard of care, that will save money by making the service it provides patients more efficient. So obviously they won't have to to go back to care for people if they've done it properly the first time, which would make sense. Mm. Um, It's also one of the trusts in the country which receives particular winter pressures funding, which also might help reduce any deficit. So there are options there. Now, as we we know, because uh, we've been talking about this a lot, a number of children's services at Bedford Hospital were transferred to other hospitals, Milton Keynes, one of them, prior to a critical report by the health watchdog, the CQC. What's the latest on that? Is that likely to be a permanent arrangement? Well, the encouraging news is that yesterday's AGM was told that the aim is to return these services to Bedford Hospital and that's something that you've heard on this programme as well when you've interviewed the Acting Chief Executive Stephen Conroy now he was talking yesterday and said this might be done on a stage by stage basis but it's an area of service which is a key part of hospital provision and one which is sorely missed as we know by many local residents this is what Stephen Conroy had to say We we definitely want to see paediatric services back in Bedford we should be providing most services to local families for all their healthcare needs it's extremely inconvenient for for parents to be going further than this so we've got to bring those services back as soon as possible and working on a, on a plan with our partners to introduce some new services before the winter uh, we know children get sicker in the winter uh, it happens every year and if we can provide more services locally that will save parents having to, to traipse off to other hospitals around around the patch so we're very determined to see some services back say in october before the winter the CQC report also highlighted staffing issues with consultant levels in A&E and also the stroke unit, one of the areas uh, mentioned. Is that issue being addressed now? Yeah, and it wasn't just extra consultants that were needed. Um, changes have been made in the nurse-patient ratio and that's being regularly monitored in each department. So some vacant posts aren't always easy to fill. But I've got a clip from Stephen Conroy again. He hopes that they are getting to grips with that. A&E is one of those where we've got a consultant vacancy and we really want to recruit to that post. We've tried to recruit nationally, we've out of recruitment internationally and we really need to resolve that. So I'm very keen to get that vacancy filled as soon as possible. However, I would assure uh, listeners that we have a fully staffed A&E department. Uh, the consultants we have do extra shifts to cover the vacancy and at the senior doctor level below consultants, we have 100% of staff in post. So the service works really well. It's just you, know, you need to be secure for the future and we need all our vacancies filled. What are patients groups saying about this? Are are local people being reassured by what's happening now? 
Well, you'll be speaking to someone from a patient's group in around an hour's time. But um, local people want reassurances that the worst of the problems are over. Of course they do. And uh, they want to know that measures are in place to prevent any repeat of what's happened. There will be further inspections and staffing levels have improved with £740,000 spent this financial year in recruiting more than 20 extra nurses, which is obviously good news. And as part of the charm offensive, Bedford Hospital NHS Trust appears to be addressing some of the issues that bug residents as well, all their relatives who been unfortunate enough to require hospital treatment the meeting heard that there's been no mrsa infection for over a year and that there's a zero tolerance policy now on bed sores which is something that you spoke to stephen conroy about on the program so the hospital appears to be sending out the right signals but of course time will tell tara thank you very much indeed wouldn't it be nice to come in one day and do a story about isn't bedford hospital great and they've sorted everything out and they're having a wonderful time and that's not a knock, a, a criticism the, of the people that work there. There are some amazing nurses and doctors there. Of course there are. And I feel sorry for them because they're getting a bad rap as well. 08459 455 555. The debate continues. Harassment or harassment? Which is it? Catherine Boyle is bombarding me. She's harassing me with all these things she's finding, probably from Wikipedia, on the correct pronunciation. Maybe you can help. 08459 455 555. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel, shall we? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the M1 is very slow southbound this morning from uh, just before Junction 10 at Luton Airport down to around uh, 8 at Hemel Hempstead in patches, certainly around Junction 9, the turn for the A5. It's really very, very slow. Had a number of, uh, of calls from uh, people. Some uh, had not actually moved, so there might be something going on. I can't see from the cameras an actual accident or incident, but it is a little bit misty, so might well be an accident along that stretch. If you're there, uh, do let me know. A1M looking very slow south uh, towards Junction 7, 8 down to 7, the two Stevenage turns. Uh, then there are delays on the M25 as well. That's looking uh, very slow each way through the roadworks around Junction 25. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Russell. Harassment, harassment. Got more than 12 points on your licence. Should you be banned? And e-cigarettes, those smokers. How do they get away with it? Here's the news. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Seven o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, Manning Conviction clears the way for compensation case, Bedford Hospital heading for the red, and Watchdog criticises welfare reforms. BBC Three Counties Radio. The conviction of Bletchley man Shahid Al-Ahmed for the murder of Rachel Manning yesterday has strengthened the case for compensation for two men wrongly jailed for the crime. Rachel's boyfriend, Barry White, and his friend, Keith Hyatt, had their convictions quashed in 2007, but Barry White says the six years he spent behind bars have ruined his life. I lost a life, I lost a good life. I had a good little job, I had a great girlfriend and I would like a life back. I I can't get a job at all. I'd like my compensation, that would be my justice when I had to get that compensation. Bedford Hospital bosses say they'll do all they can to avoid the predicted budget deficit. The Trust's annual general meeting was held yesterday where it was revealed the hospital risks going into the red by as much as £3.6 million. The Trust's acting chief executive is Stephen Conroy. We do think we can to avoid the financial deficit, but we are running with a risk. We've had a, an underlying issue around finances recently. Clearly, we, we need to be in line with the rest of the NHS. Everyone's making the same level of savings. It is harder sometimes in a small hospital to make those savings. So some of the things that contribute to that are an increase in emergency admissions. 
Two men have been jailed for more than 10 years for drug dealing in Luton. Gulfraz Parvaz and Nicky O'Dell had heroin worth up to £600,000, as Barry Caffrey reports. Luton Crown Court heard that undercover officers were watching a house where a deal had taken place. After the men left, both their vehicles were stopped. Parvaz had £56,000 in cash in his BMW and in O'Dell's van there were two big blocks of heroin. 38-year-old Parvaz from Kennington Road in Luton and 35-year-old Odell from Sycamore Road in Houghton Regis pleaded guilty to supplying Class A drugs. The Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt has demanded urgent clarification of a decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging abortions based on the sex of the unborn child. The Crown Prosecution Service said taking the case to court would not be in the public interest. The National Audit Office has accused the government of trying to introduce its flagship universal credit scheme without knowing how it would work. The aim is to replace means-tested benefits with a single monthly payment. Ministers say problems have been dealt with and universal credit will be introduced on time and on budget. In sport, Rafa Nadal's through to his fifth US Open semi-final after a crushing straight set victory over his compatriot Tommy Robredo. The world number two won 6-2-6-2 in just one hour, 45 minutes. Nadal will face Richard Gasquet in the last four, who reached his first Grand Slam semi-final for six years after beating David Ferrer. It took the Frenchman three hours, 23 minutes to win the five sets. Gasquet had led by two sets to love. The weather early mist will clear to give us a hot sunny day with a top temperature of 30 degrees degrees Celsius, that's 59 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. So what's this this latest piece of research into the word harassment, harassment, harassment. that you've sent me? Harassment. Well, that apparently it's all Frank Spencer's fault. <laughs> oh, Betty Cat's done a whoopsie on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Whole yeah. university say it was a joke oh. and oh. a way of saying a rude word. Right. And so um, you're, you're, you're unfortunately, b- morons have taken it on. Sorry, you're basing yes. your your pronunciation of harassment on what Frank Spencer didn't do. Uh, okay, I don't know if you heard Dave earlier on. Now, putting to putting to one side his talk about truck drivers committing murders to get off getting points on their license. Yeah, I thought apart from that, he made a strong argument that it is harassment. Mm-hmm. So we go Oxford English Dictionary, Roger's Thesaurus, David Luton. Is that right? Yeah. When she puts it like that, I, uh, can we get the BBC pronunciation department on the line? This is what we need to do with the BBC, for goodness sakes. Kelly Betts, phone up the BBC pronunciation department. I want them on this show. If you can help, 08459 455 555. Slightly more serious issues to be talked about as well. In a few minutes, I'll be speaking to Keith Hyatt. Well, he's one of the two men who was wrongly convicted of murdering the teenager Rachel Manning in Milton Keynes 13 years ago. He served three years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. One of my biggest fears, and he says it could happen to anyone. We'll be hearing his incredible story in just a minute. E-cigarettes. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. EU proposals are due to be voted on next week that would see them be treated in the same way as medicines. It means they'd be harder to get hold of. Should there be tighter regulations on who can use e-cigarettes? Or should we just let any old smug so-and-so smoke them? Remember a few weeks ago, it wasn't okay to fall in love with a teacher, Jeremy French, anybody? But today, it's all right. Pippa Middleton has uh, revealed that she used to fancy her hockey teacher. Which teachers did you have a crush on at school, and why? 
Facebook.com forward slash BBC uh, 3CR. Oh, Jeremy Forrest, thank you. Jeremy French is someone completely different. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Incredible story, uh, the story of the murder of Rachel Manning 13 years ago. Two men... Uh, were wrongly jailed for murdering uh, Rachel Manning in Milton Keynes and uh, they say they finally feel vindicated after Shahid Al-Ahmed from Bletchley was found guilty yesterday and he's starting a a life sentence this morning for the murder. Well, Rachel's boyfriend Barry White and his friend Keith Hyatt were both wrongly convicted for the crime. The convictions of Barry and Keith were quashed after a BBC Rough Justice programme questioned the evidence used to convict them. Well, Keith Hyatt joins me now live. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. <clears throat> Horrific story in in so many ways. Uh, th- how did you first? Uh, th- th- how did you first realise that you were a, a, a suspect in the murder of Rachel? Um, well, quite early on, really, because um, um, I'd actually I'd actually stopped to um, inquire about some police activity very near Roman Golf Club. Um, Which is where the, the the body was found, of course. That's right. Yeah. And uh, when I did uh, when I did that, cause I asked um, Sharon Barry's mother um, to go and check. Um, well, within minutes, I was I was taken to the police station, told that I would uh, do a statement. But while I was there, um, two officers came in and arrested me for the murder of um, Rachel Manning. And what? What did that feel like, Keith? You you, um, you you gone in there to see what was going on, and you're being accused of murder. Yeah, I mean, the whole world just implodes. I mean, everything you've believed in just goes. I mean, you know, um, it, it's difficult to put into words. Um, but it's, um, yeah, the whole world, I was in complete shock after that. Without. In- you must, of course, have kept me going, no, hang on, I'm innocent, I didn't do it. And uh, and yeah. what were the coppers like? Um, uh, the uniform coppers were all right. It's the, um, it was often the CID, I mean, they didn't seem to be that interested in, in how, I, how I was feeling. But I say from that moment, I was probably in shock from, for at least two days while I was there. In fact, I can very... I, can remember very little of the time that I was in in uh, police custody there. And Rachel was a friend of yours, is that right? That's right. Yep. So, not only have you lost a friend in uh, uh, horrific circumstances, you're now being implicated in that murder. In that, that's right. That's correct. Yep. Um, did you did you think this is all? You must have felt like some weird dream that, that at some point someone's going to go, hang on a second, of course we've got the wrong person. Keith, go on, we're sorry, away you go. But that, that just didn't happen, did it? No, no, right That's right the way through, even when we were convicted and put into prison, we, we both kept thinking, at some point, someone's going to open that door and say, sorry, it's all been a terrible mistake, you can go home. But uh, that didn't happen. That first day when you, you got sentenced and you went to prison... And that door slams behind you, or you, you get put in your, your cell. Yeah. What was going through your mind? 
Um, it was just so surreal. It's it's difficult again. It's difficult to put into words. It's just you're just thinking to yourself, this is this has got to be wrong. There's something wrong here. Um, I've done nothing wrong, um, and yet why is this happening to me? Um, and of course, as, as we know, every, everyone in prison is innocent. I didn't do it, Gov. They got the wrong bloke. Uh, d- 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 yeah. What was it, what was it like hanging out with other prisoners, with other murderers, with 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 criminals like that? It must have been terrifying. Um, it certainly was for the first three, four months until you get used to prison. Really, um, you tend to sort of have to reinvent yourself a little bit. Um, and uh, because you're there on your own, there's no one else behind. There's no one else looking out for you. So um, yeah, it's quite a scary place. How did you, uh, it come about? You getting your uh, conviction overturned? Well, that was that was my father because virtually from day one, um, my father got on to the BBC and spoke to Rough Justice, and I think he sort of phoned a few times. Unfortunately, Louise Shorter, who was the producer uh, at the time, um, agreed to take on the case. And then Mark Daly came in, who then investigated the uh, the case. Um, and that's how we got our appeal. I mean, it's a long time. This is not quick. Um, but without their help, we, Barry would still be in prison. Mm. Um, because uh, the sums of money you, you're talking about to get an appeal is uh, astronomical. It's taken a long time for uh, um, Mr Ahmed to, to be convicted. Were there some people who still thought that, you know, you were guilty? You, you and uh, Barry would be walking down the street and they'd be, you know, nudging each other going, those two got off light? Um, probably people who didn't know us may have been thinking that, but I mean, I mean I've certainly been lucky that I've, I've got a good family and all my friends and they all knew that I had nothing to do with this, and they've always they've all been very supportive, as well as my you know MP Ian Stewart being absolutely brilliant and supportive this right from the beginning. And did your family um, uh, th- 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 believe your innocence all the way through, or, or do you think that, that that even they were at some point going, well, you know, maybe maybe he was involved? No, 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 no point did they ever think I did this. No. No. And your dad, I know your dad uh, passed away recently, and I'm sorry to hear that. It's always, it's always a great loss when, uh, you know, when a boy's dad goes. But he, he was a great support, was he, throughout all of this? He was, he was. Um, it was just sad that he couldn't just be around to um, hear the verdict. But mm. I'm sure somewhere he's, uh, he knows. <laughs> and uh, uh, did it, does it feel like a full stop when the verdict was passed yesterday? Did, did you feel like that's it? You can, you can kind of move on and, and get on with your life now? Yeah, I think so. It was like putting the last page in the book and closing the book and, uh, and then putting it away and then just getting, start a new book, get you know, a new life sort of started, you know, and just rebuild your life a bit. Obviously, my, my priority is going to be looking after my mother. So, mm. so. She must be really relieved. She is, yep. She was hot, absolutely over the moon, she was. Yep, yep. And, and are you going to be trying to get compensation for, for the... It's three years, wasn't it, you spent in prison? In prison, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, that's been, that's been going through for some time now. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's not very easy, and... Uh, but there's not the new law changes, which was all to do with cut, you know, cut, um, cutting costs. 
Um, they've not made it's not they don't make it easy. No, of course yeah. they're not going to make it easy to give you a load you know, of money for a mistake you know, they made. Uh, they uh, made have yeah. the police apologised to you, Keith? They have. I mean, uh, Rob Mason was um, um, he apologised on uh, on TV last night. Mills had a letter from him before then. Um, and uh, has, he, has anyone from the police c- come and knocked on your door and said, look, Keith, can we have a little chat? I just want to say I'm really sorry on, be- on behalf of the police force. Have you had anything like that? Oh, no, no. I mean, again, um, Rob Mason, I mean, all the police that were there uh, the other day at the court, they've all been really good, I must admit, and they've all had the c- courage to come up and shake our hands and say, look, sorry about this. Um, and... Uh, and I, I accept that from them. Mm. Well, good, good for you, Keith. Listen, it's, it's a remarkable story. I really hope that this, uh, you know, you and your mum and the rest of your family can move on from this now. But uh, thanks very much for coming and sharing it with us this morning. That's right. Pleasure. Keith, okay. uh, there we go. It's, uh, Keith Hyatt, wrongly convicted of perverting the course of justice, wasn't involved in the murder, went to prison for three years, had his conviction quashed. In 2007, and just to remind you that Shahid Al-Ahmed from Bletchley is starting a life sentence this morning for murdering Rachel Manning 13 years ago. You can't even begin to imagine what's that, what that's like. I- I- irrationally, well, maybe not irrationally, it's one of my biggest fears, going to prison for a crime I didn't commit. Imagine that, you're arrested. You're charged with involvement in a murder. You go to court. There's a whole hearing. You get sentenced. You go to prison. You must be thinking at some, at some point... Somebody is going to realise they've made a terrible mistake. Someone's going to realise. Fingerprints, DNA. Someone's going to go, oh, we've got the wrong lads. He's in prison for three years. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's quarter past seven. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. Time for the travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, we're getting uh, loads of calls about the M1 delays. Traffic is uh, queuing south around Junction 11, the A505, Luton and Dunstable turn, then from 10 down towards 9, Luton Airport to the A5. I can see on the cameras that traffic's queuing along that stretch. I'll be honest with you, Ian, I've got no idea about Junction 8. I'm looking at the cameras. I can't see a thing. It is so foggy around Junction 8. There's just I've just got white across the cameras. I can't see what it's like there. Speed sensors suggest that it's eased by the time you get to Junction 8, but I can't confirm that, as I can't see. Um, A1M is looking very slow south between junctions 8 and 7, the two Stevenage turns, and there's a report of a vehicle fire towards London between junctions 2 and 1, Ian, from Wellham Green down to the M25. Speed sensors are showing delays, but again, very foggy. M25, various stretches got delays now. It's uh, clockwise junction 24, mostly at Potter's Bar. Anti-clockwise 26 to 25 from Waltham Abbey to the A10, 21 to 20 from the M1 to Kings Langley, and building up now from 17 to 16 from Maple Cross to the M40. And I can also see delays on the A10 uh, towards London around the Chesant area going down towards the A121. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Russell, thank you very much indeed. Right, 7.16, it's Thursday, the uh, 5th of September. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The conviction of Bletchley man Shahid al-Ahmed for the murder of Rachel Manning has strengthened the compensation case for two men wrongly jailed for the crime. Bedford Hospital bosses say they'll do all they can to avoid a predicted budget deficit of £3.6 million. In sport, Rafael Nadal is through to his fifth US Open semi-final after a straight sets tennis victory over fellow Spaniard Tommy Robredo in straight tennis sets at Flushing Tennis Meadows. Coming up, take a nice big draw 
more on that e-cigarette of yours because you may soon need a prescription for it. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. On Saturday, it's an extended Three Counties sport with another four live commentaries. MK Dons host Swindon in the early kickoff. Then there's full coverage of Tramir versus Stevenage. Stevenage a goal ahead. And Wickham's trip to Hartlepool. And at 5.30, Luton are at home to Grimsby. Howes will score. Right-hand side finds the back of the net. And Luton have got their goal. Hear all four games live this Saturday from 12 in Three Counties Sport. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Harassment, harassment. The debate continues, and indeed it rains on like a hellfire. 08459 455 555. How is it pronounced correctly? Please. Now, EU proposals are due to be voted on next week that would see e-cigarettes treated in the same way as medicines. It could mean you'd have to get a prescription to use them. Well, it's all part of a draft law to make smoking less attractive to the young, but there are plenty of people opposed to the changes in the law. We sent our reporter, Sophie Solari, over to King's Langley to ask people there what they think about e-cigarettes. I think it should be more clearer what's in the actual fluid that you put in them, because when you actually look on the bottle it said hazardous to swallow but you're then actually smoking the vapour so I think there needs to be better regulations on that. Are they better than a cigarette? I, I don't know. So you smoke the cigarettes? A vape, like a vaporizer one rather than a cigarette one. I like it. Cheaper. Tastes nice. <laughs> I still smoke cigarettes as well though. So you smoke both? Yes. Do you think that it's helped you in any way? Uh, yeah because I did quit on it to start off with. But yeah, just went back to cigarettes. <laughs> How hard was it to get that e-cigarette? Quite easy on the internet. Just Google it. Do you think it should be regulated at all? Um, no. Because it's not as bad for you as cigarettes. Just you get the same feeling as smoking. It's not really the smoking I like. It's the feeling of doing it with the hands and like the drag on your neck. Nice. So that woman enjoys the sensation of putting something in her, house, uh, in her mouth and, and uh, the, the feeling on the neck. She's smoking e-cigarettes and she's smoking real cigarettes. Has it been helpful? Well, yeah, I did stop smoking for a while. <laughs> what? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, Catherine Devlin from Dunstable is the president of uh, the Electronic Cigarette Industry Trade Association. Catherine, I'm assuming that you think that this uh, pr- uh, legislation that's being proposed is possibly wrong. Well, if you, yes, absolutely. The, the medicinalisation of these products would be completely inappropriate and actually legally invalid um, for all kinds of good reason because uh, <clears throat> they're not medicines, quite simply. Um, what they are is uh, an alternative to the burning of tobacco and inhaling of the smoke, which is lethally dangerous, as we all know, um, by replacing it with something that is not burning anything and therefore must be orders of magnitude safer than continuing to smoke. It's still encouraging an addiction, though, isn't it? Well, (laughs) encouraging? No. The point about smokers is they are addicted to smoking. They are... To nicotine? To nicotine, yeah. Which has got... The products have got nicotine in, haven't they? Yeah, So so it's it's encouraging uh, addiction? Not encouraging. What it is doing is... Promoting? No. What it's doing... Helping? Absolutely helping, because it's offering an alternative way of consuming nicotine that removes... 99.9% of the dangers associated with smoking. So it makes it no worse than drinking coffee, for example, because nicotine is actually about as, you know, it's on a par with caffeine. Really? 
Absolutely. Nicotine itself is actually a very safe drug. That's why we have um, NRT products that are absolutely fine and promoted widely. And nicotine itself is not the problem. The problem is the smoke. It is the smoke that kills people, not the nicotine. But should we be encouraging any form of addiction? Well, I'm addicted to oxygen. I'm not going to give that up. No, you're not, addic- no, you're not addicted to oxygen, are you, Catherine? Though? Well, it's, no, that's, that's a necessity. Why do, you, why do you say that that is not an addiction? Because it's, it's, an, it's, because a necess- it's a necessity, Catherine. Oxygen is a necessity. Well, that's a silly okay, argument. It's a necessity, but it's also not harming me. No, but it's not an addiction, Catherine. That's a ridiculous argument. No, but addiction necessarily implies that it does you some harm to be addicted to something. Well, no, addiction implies that you are doing something that you cannot stop doing. And the, the, the argument about oxygen is r- ridiculous. Well, OK, then, but, you know, at the end of the day, there are people who can't get through the day without a cup of coffee every couple of hours. Is that addiction to caffeine? Yes, people can be addicted to caffeine, but you, you, you are actively encouraging an addiction. Not really. No, what we're doing is offering a way out of an addiction to something that is very, very harmful and is likely to kill half of the people who are using it. Tobacco smoking kills half. Why don't you just promote people to stopping smoking? Why don't you invest all of your time and money and effort into to people stopping smoking altogether? Because well, it's a business. it's been going on for years and years and years, and tobacco control measures have faltered and stopped with about a quarter of the population still smoking. So you thought you'd, you, you, you and your, 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 the industry would, would cash in on this? I'm not cashing in on it. The industry is not looking to cash in on it. Well, it is. It's an industry. So by definition, it is cashing in on people who want to stop smoking but can't by offering them a lightweight uh, alternative that still preys on their addiction. It's not preying on the addiction at all. It's like offering clean needles to HIV um, uh, to Mm. drug users. It's harm reduction is what it is. It's, a, it's, it's like seatbelts, it's like life jackets, it's a better way of doing something. You're you're compa- oh, Catherine. You need to use a seatbelt. Catherine, your comparison. So, so far we've had, you're addicted to oxygen, it's like giving uh, clean needles to drug addicts, it's like wearing seatbelts. It's like none of those things at all, is it? Well, it, what it is, is massively removing the harms that are caused by smoking. So if you, if you are a smoker who is unable or unwilling to quit, this is a better way to continue to use nicotine if you're going to do that. By making lots of money for the industry. I'm not, no, saying, that, I'm not saying that's a bad as thing. a smoker, by switching from smoking, burning tobacco, yes. to using an electronic instead. But it will make... Uh, uh, the, the, the e-cigarette industry isn't doing this out of a charitable concern for people's health. They're doing it to make money. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but no, th- well, that's, that's what the they're doing. same as, as the NRT market, yeah. uh, promoting NRT products. Of course, businesses are there to make money. So they're making money. They're not doing... So what we're doing I, we should just put that, is useful. But, 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 but then I, I just think you should be more honest and open about that instead of trying to imply it's coming from a... a, a, a loving, caring health perspective. It's not. It's a business. Well, yeah, OK, but, you know, when, when I'm, I held my husband in my arms when he was 31 years old and dying of smoking-related cancer, he died in my arms. And when I found vaping and switched from smoking to using an electronic cigarette, I thought, you know what, I want to make damn sure that there are other families out there who don't have to go through what we went through. So, yeah, I'm very proud to promote vaping. But I would have thought... A reduction alternative. I would have thought, and you've, you've, you've brought that up, and uh, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Of course, it's a terrible, terrible thing, and uh, I'm sure we all know people who've lost uh, uh, loved ones Absolutely. through smoking. But, but surely then you, would be, you should be perhaps encouraging complete abstinence from, from any form of, of, of smoking and addiction and nicotine. Obviously, the very best thing that smokers can do is to quit smoking. But for many, many, many of them, I mean, a quarter of smokers 
simply cannot do it. They yes, they are unable can. Yes, they can. Everyone can stop smoking. Uh, no. That's a myth. Everyone can stop smoking. No, I don't believe it is a myth, because otherwise, why have we still got a quarter of the UK population still smoking? Because it's bloody hard, but everyone can stop smoking. It's of course they can. It's not true. It's simply not true. Yeah, well, everybody can stop smoking now because we've got better alternatives. Everyone can but, stop smoking you know. and everyone can stop their dependence on nicotine. To, to say it's not, to say that they can't is, is I think, a slightly dangerous myth that, that, that the e-cigarette industry is, is uh, pushing forward. This is not the e-cigarette industry pushing that. The point well, is you, everybody recognises it. You NICE recognises it. The Royal College of Physicians recognises it. Their reports have... For years and years, since 2007, 2010, they report that, you know, we need to do more. Do, what do they report? Sorry, what do they, do, do they recognise, do they recognise, Catherine, that some people can't stop smoking? Absolutely. They recognise that there are people who are unable or unwilling to quit smoking. Unwilling and, and unable are two, given. unwilling and unable are two very, very different things. Do they recognise that there are they some people who are unable to stop smoking? They recognise both. I would love to see that evidence. Those reports are linked on our website. I will have a little look at that, because I, okay. do, I don't buy for one second. I believe that everybody is able to uh, stop smoking if they want to, if they want to. And there is a difference between unable and unwilling. There is a difference, but equally, there are some people who are unwilling and some people who are unable. And the point is that the Royal College of Physicians and others, the Behavioural Insights team at the Cabinet Office, all of these people recognise that if you can't persuade people to quit, then you must offer them better alternatives. This is why the NRT has been promoted so widely, but unfortunately it fails for 96% of people who use it. So we need to find a better way, and thank God we've now got one. Uh, If these regulations get passed, Catherine, what would that mean for the industry? Uh, Well, medicinal regulation would mean a a complete ban, so we'd be taking that to court um, because it's legally invalid. We have the opinion of Sir Francis Jacobs QC that's very clear on that. Uh, Catherine, thank you very much. Always good sparring with you first thing in the morning, and uh, I appreciate your time and uh, your robustness. Catherine Devlin from Dunstable, president of the Electronic Cigarette Industry Trade Association. Well, are there? So Catherine puts forward an interesting point. I'm not sure I agree with it. She says there is medical evidence, and I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. Are there some people who cannot stop smoking, who just can't do it? There is a difference between unable and unwilling. Uh, my dad stopped smoking and that and I, you know the, the, the anecdotal evidence but that proves to me that anybody could stop smoking he used to smoke a hundred cigarettes a day chain smoking 80 to 100 cigarettes a day constantly and when i was a kid he constantly tried to stop smoking he had patches he had gum he had hypnotherapy couldn't stop couldn't stop he had a heart attack about um when was it god about 12 13 years ago heart attack that day as he was smoking a cigarette Never smoked another cigarette after that. He went, you know what, I'm going to stop. He used to smoke 100 cigarettes a day. And I know it's anecdotal evidence, but sometimes that's all we have. If he could stop smoking, anyone could stop. I genuinely believe that. Maybe you disagree. Maybe there are some people out there who can't stop smoking. Is that you? Is that your mum? Is that your, your son? Have they tried... 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Are there some people who simply cannot stop smoking? I like it when Catherine comes on. We have a good old ding dong. Uh, I believe my thing, she believes her things, and she go, we, we both go off slightly angry but a little bit happier, I think. I hope so, anyway. Because I, I want her to come back on. She's good fun. 08459 455 555. Are there some people who simply cannot stop smoking? Right, it's coming up to 7.29. You're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel with Russell, shall we? 
Travel news for beds, hards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's very foggy in some places this morning, especially on the M1 around Junction 8 at Hemel Hempstead. It's so foggy I can barely see anything on the cameras, but it's been extra busy, I suspect, because of that fog. It's queuing south around Junction 11, the A505, Luton and Dunstable turn, and then from 10 down to 9. That's from Luton Airport to the A5. Uh, A1, that's looking slow south towards the Black Cat roundabout. Also very slow, Junction 8 down to 7, the two Stevenage turns. And uh, there was a vehicle fire. They've put the fire out in towards London. The queues now from Junction 4 down to 1. So that's all the way from Welling Garden City uh, down to the M25 at South Mims. On the M25, it's very slow clockwise. Junctions 22 to 24 from London Coney round to Potter's Bar because of the roadworks. Anti-clockwise queuing in patches 28 to 25 from the A12 round to the A10. Then very slow from Junction 21 round to 20. That's the M1 to Kings Langley. Plus just off Junction 21A, there's a queue on the A405 on the roundabout there at Brickett Wood. And the A10's been looking very slow towards London as well around the Chesant area uh, going from uh, Turnford down to the A121. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Russell, 7.30 bang on the nose, news and sport now with Catherine. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The two men wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning are vowing to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid Al-Ahmed at Luton Crown Court yesterday. Bedford Hospital bosses say they'll do all they can to avoid a predicted budget deficit of £3.6 million. And the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, has demanded urgent clarification of a decision not to prosecute two doctors accused of arranging abortions based on the sex of the unborn child. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Tennis and Rafa Nadal through to the semi-finals of the US Open after a comprehensive straight sets victory over Tommy Robredo in New York. Nadal was 6-0, 6-2, winner at Flushing love. Meadows. Is it love? Six love. It's tennis, isn't it? I don't know. Yes, yeah, love. All right. Was a six love, six two, six two winner at Flushing Meadows and admitted, I knew it wasn't nil, admitted it was his best performance of the tournament. I think I played great the first set. It's my first set so far this year, 100%. Very happy the way, with, the way that I move myself on court. Very happy the way that I hit my forehand and my backhand especially. So, in general, was my best match of the tournament. Just happy being semi-finals is a very important result for me. World number two, Victoria Azarenka set up a semi-final against Flavia Panetta with a straight sets win over Daniela Hantuchova while defending champion Serena Williams faces China's Li Na in the first women's semi-final later today. Andy Murray's in quarter-final action at the US Open later when he takes on the Swiss number one, sorry, number nine seed Stanislas Vavrinka. Our tennis correspondent Russell Fuller looks ahead. Stanislas Vavrinka was the first man Murray beat en route to Olympic gold, but he's also the last man to stop him reaching a Grand Slam quarter-final here in New York three years ago. Very likeable and with a dream of a single-handed backhand, Vavrinka showed the self-belief he has sometimes been lacking in his fourth round win over Thomas Burditch. Murray is yet really to hit his stride and has been a little fractious at times on court, but he knows exactly how to raise his game for the matches that matter, as we've seen in his run to the final of the last four Grand Slams he's contested. Finally, football and Manchester United have been urged to recruit a director of football by Liverpool's former sporting director Damien Camoli. He believes the new manager David Moyes and new chief executive Ed Woodward need help after their struggles in the transfer window. And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 8 o'clock. Schedule or schedule? Schedule. That's the British way, is it? Yep. Because I prefer schedule. Okay. Call 
Picking up a little bit of tension between me and Catherine this morning. That was awkward, wasn't it? Was that awkward? It was a little bit. Well, you know, everyone knows it's love in tennis. Who knows why is it love? Who knows? Anyone? Anyone? I don't know. I'm saying it as though I know. I don't know. I'm sure there's a, an interesting answer to it. Uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. In the next 30 minutes, penalty points, Bedfordshire Hospital and pronunciation. Who would want to get out of their car and go to school or work with those things coming up? Only a fool, dear listener. Only a fool. And I know you're not. This morning we're asking, if you've got more than 12 points on your licence, should you be able to carry on driving? Well, this is incredible. A woman from West London managed to accumulate 42 points. 42 points and was still driving around in her car. Well, it tallies with what BBC Three Counties Radio found via a Freedom of Information request in 2011. That revealed that nearly 600 motorists living in the local area were driving with the maximum 12 or more points on their licence. It would appear that in two years the situation hasn't changed. But what do you think? Should you, should you be allowed to drive if you've got 12 or more points? David Walker is co-owner of Duke and Duchess Driving School in Bedfordshire. Joins me now. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. I, I was surprised by this. I thought 12 points, you got your licence taken off you. Well, that's what we'd all like to think happen, wouldn't it? How, when it does get taken off you, how, how long does it get taken off for? Well, it usually varies depending on what you've lost your licence for. Um, sort of drink driving, um, dangerous driving... Uh, up to obviously the maximum penalty death by dangerous driving because obviously blues licence and also prison sentences um, so the, the term of ban can then be from six months up to even a number of years for the, for the maximum bans. It would appear that people can kind of just flounce into court and go yeah I know I've got 12 points but I really really need my car for work otherwise my kids won't eat. Is it, is it as simple as that? Um, to the best of my knowledge, it's not quite that simple. Um, I believe that there is a system in place for appealing the losing of your licence. So if, say, to take away your licence was to directly affect your ability to work, um, let's say for delivery drivers possibly or taxi drivers or to even extend driving instructors, well, we all hope we won't get 12 penalty points anyway, but um, if it was going to directly affect your ability to prove, provide income, then there may be a way of proving to the court that by taking away your licence, it's going to have a direct impact on your family. Um, to the best of my knowledge, though, the, the kind of appeals that you find at the moment are more where people are finding ways of getting around their speeding fines or uh. they're, they're, they're kind of going out having accidents or causing problems on the road and then using maybe say expensive lawyers as a way of getting out of these penalty points i, I was once uh, told by someone who, who got 12 points and lost their license it's always the best thing that's happened to me because i've been banned for a, a few months it was three months or six months mm. but when i get my license back it's completely clean i can start again <laughs> again it seems to be a bit of a flaw of the system doesn't it I mean, points themselves should usually stay on the licence for um, a period of around two years. Again, depending on what the points are actually put on the licence for. Um, but again, like you said, once you get a licence back, if it's being reissued as a clean licence, it's almost like starting with a clean slate. Mm. Um, I mean, what you would like to think would happen is that the, the points that were on there originally would still roll over for their initial two-year period. If, if it's a cumulative system, which is what the system was introduced for, to kind of make drivers more aware of their actions and to, to help intentionally make the roads safer, then 
working as. Now, you teach young people to drive, David. Yeah. Are they bothered about points? Are they even aware of them? They are aware of them. Uh, as, as instructors, we actually make them aware that there is obviously a penalty system in place. Um, upon actually passing their test, the driving examiner will also make them aware of the way the system works. Um, it's actually slightly different for young drivers as well, or for new drivers, so I should say in that if they actually receive six penalty points in the first two years of having their licence, they automatically lose their licence ah. then. Um, so it's kind of almost like a probationary period, if you like. Um, but that being said, I personally I remember teaching uh, a student a couple of years ago, and her father had actually got out of losing his licence um, because he'd been to court overspeeding. He was on, I believe, 12 points at the time, and he got out of the last one that would have lost his licence. Um, basically, again, because it was he needed his licence for his job. Mm. And at the time, I was thinking, well, what kind of message is this actually sending to young drivers that they're finding out that there are ways of getting around these penalties? It wouldn't be acceptable in any other form of law-breaking. You know, we wouldn't uh, turn around and say, well, someone's been uh, sent to court for attempted burglary or something like that. Why would we allow it for driving? If they can get around it in one thing, what's to stop people trying to get around it in other aspects of crime? David, the final question I have to ask, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, how, how many points have you got on your licence? Zero. Oh, has it always been zero? It's been that way since I passed my test 12 and a half years wow. ago, a fact that I'm very proud of. <laughs> you should be. I, th- I think that's a rarity, David. I-, I appreciate your time and your honesty. David Walker, co-owner of uh, Duke and Duchess Driving School in Bedfordshire. Listen, there are at least 600 of you in the three counties who have 12 or more points on your licence. Give me a call and tell me how on earth you got away with it. Not that we're condoning that behaviour, but obviously if it's legal, it's legal. How on earth did you manage to keep your licence? What sob story did you tell in the court that made the judge go, well, all right, Mr Jones, as long as you don't do it again, you can drive home. 08459 455555. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. just got a, a, a tweet. Uh, Scott is saying, when my car got impounded for driving without insurance, what? The man at the pound said loads of lorry drivers have over 20 points. Really? Lorry drivers. Yes, there's a show in there at some point. Uh, Paul's in Biggleswade. Morning, Paul. Good morning, Ian. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you, Paul. How do you know that? You don't know that? It might not be. I'm giving you, Paul, the benefit of the doubt, and already I'm regretting that benefit giving. Look, I don't need any harassment from you. I'm not I'm not harassing you, I'm harassing you. Really? Yes. I wasn't um, scheduled to have this argument with you, but nevertheless... I'll schedule it with my people for later on in the week, yeah. then. Uh, in French, um, when the French played tennis, for some strange reason, yeah. they referred to the number zero as a, as a l'oeuf. Love. The egg? The egg, because oh. it looks like an egg. The number zero looks like an egg. So well. it's called love. <clears throat> so when it uh, came to England, um, we could have just, instead of saying love, we called it love. We should have just said 15 egg. 15, that would have been much better. 40 egg. Yeah. I'd, I would be interested, if there was a sport that used egg as a scoring system, I would totally be in there. But, so we, hang on, but is, is zero, surely zero in French is just le, le note. Le, 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 le not, le nil, le, le non, non, le non, non. Uh, non, 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 j'ai deux ans. Mm. Well, thanks for that call, Paul. Is that right? That sounds like one of those urban myths. 
not to throw any um, disparity on Paul. Is that the word? Probably not, but I'm going to use it. I'm disparaging Paul slightly. Partly because he seemed absolutely bonkers, but thank you, Paul, for that. <laughs> he caught me. Uh, on, uh, he caught me slightly off guard there at the start. Thank you, Paul. I, I, let, let's see. I need somebody to verify or deny that before uh, I write that down in my book of facts, which is, which is here. This is my book of facts here. You see. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We've been talking as well uh, about uh, e-cigarettes this morning. Oh, no, I can't see those texts. Where have you hidden them? You've hidden them somewhere, have you? I can't see those. We'll get to those uh, in... Oh, you brought them in on a bit of paper, did you? Thank you. <laughs> An idiot I am. You brought them in a long time ago as well, by, by the look of this. Uh, e-cigarettes. Joe says, I told one of my students to get out of the class when he started an e-fag. He said it wasn't smoking. He could do it. He was wrong. He was out and banned from my training room. Good for you, Joe. Don't like seeing... There is a smugness, isn't there, about these people that smoke these e-cigarettes. It's not smoking, it's vaping. No, being an idiot. Ian, as regards to e-cigarettes, says Lee and Sandy, brackets angry, I've given up cigarettes and moved on to e-cigs, but now I'm finding it more everywhere I go. People are telling me I can't smoke my e-cig where I am, as I'm not smoking, I'm vaping. It's only a vapour. And not 4,000 carcinogens that I'm putting into my body or anybody else's. Isn't it interesting? <clears throat> As I'm talking about smoking, my throat is uh, going a bit uh, cloudy. I was even told I can't vape on an open space, a train platform. Just another one of my liberties being taken away. Lisa and Hitchin. Isn't it a bit ridiculous that e-cigarettes should be restricted when normal fags aren't? I don't smoke e-ciggies, but know a few people who really enjoy them. Aren't allowed one, nearly harmless, vice. Do we have to be completely nannied and regulated on everything we do? The side effects of nicotine without all the tyre, etc. hasn't been shown to be any more harmful than caffeine. Will coffee be on prescription next? Well, some of the really strong stuff that uh, our political reporter Paul Scoynes brings in. Yes, yes, that that should be uh, given away only with medical advice. Come on, Ian, just because you gave up smoking. You should all give up smoking. Is it? I I cannot believe the uh, lady from the e-cigarette lobbying group. I cannot believe that there are people who are unable to smoke, able to to stop smoking. Everybody is able. If they try the right method, everybody is able to stop smoking. Karen in uh, Welland Garden City, just about to jump in the shower. Hi, Chihuahua, Karen! Wowzers! But for info, when my nan was in hospital, the old girl in the bed next to her smoked an e-cigarette all day and all night. But nan was mortified this old girl could smoke while she couldn't. And Gary and Luke, and final one of these for the moment. I've stopped smoking normal cigarettes. I'm using an e-cig. I think they're great. Don't you kid yourself. The government give a monkeys about our health. Putting them on prescription is clearly the only way they could think of to try to get some revenue in. Typical rip-off Britain. 08459 four double five five double five. I need an e-cigarette smoker to call me up. And, uh, and uh, hey, you listen. You can smoke one on the air with me if you want. Not with me, I won't be joining in, but if you want to, normally I wouldn't allow somebody on uh, the telephone smoking a cigarette. You, you, you know, I, I hate it when you're talking to someone on the phone and then you go, are you smoking a cigarette? Yeah. Well, don't smoke a cigarette while you're talking to me. You're gonna... So anyway, I was talking to Steve and, are you smoking a cigarette? Well, stop it. That's almost as bad as someone having a, someone on the toilet smoking a cigarette. 08459 555. Let's just get rid of them. We don't need them. Stop smoking, dear listener. You're better than that. And no, you shouldn't be allowed to smoke e-cigarettes in restaurants, on train platforms, at pop concerts. 
When I went to see the Beach Boys last year, there was someone smoking an e-cigarette. Oh, no. You look ridiculous. You look smug. You look like you're showing off. You're an addict. Accept it. 7.45, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, if you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. And yes, I am filling while we wait for the travel to join us, wouldn't you? Facebook.com as well, forward slash BBC 3CR. Been a little bit quiet looking at your Facebook comments uh, this morning. I promise when I get my computer to work, I shall make up for that. And we'll get some of your Facebook comments. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Is travel going to deign us with their presence or should we go straight to the news? Sometimes you do have to wonder, don't you? What are we working with? Oh, also, we're talking about teachers you fancied. That's another thing we've got after Pippa Middleton has revealed she fancied her hockey teacher. Uh, Ree Bridges said, yeah, I did. I fancied a teacher. I met up with him 20 years after leaving school. That can't be right, can it? Mark says, no crush, really. Most of our female teachers were a bit on the old side, but some could have looked good in the 1950s. Sadly, I was being taught in the 1970s. Right, he's here. Let's get the travel now with Russell Holding. Russell? Hi there. Yep, still very slow down the M1 this morning, not helped by foggy conditions. Traffic's queuing around Junction 11, the turn for the A505, the uh, the Luton Dunstable turn. In fact, the queues now around Junction 12 at Toddington and Flitwick, slow around 11, and then there are queues around Junction uh, 10 down to uh, 9, the bit from Luton Airport to the A5. Uh, there are long delays on the A1 this morning. That's very slow towards London between Junctions 8 and 7, the two Stevenage turns, and then queues from Welling Garden City right down to the M25 uh, South Mims, or just before the M25 it starts to ease. But that was because of uh, a fire earlier on. There are delays in both directions towards Junction 25. Uh, the A10, where the roadworks are, that's on the M25. Also very busy on the M25 anti-clockwise around Junction 19 at uh, Watford and then down towards uh, 1716 area from Maple Cross down towards uh, the M40. I've had a report of a car overturning on Harlington Road between Harlington and uh, Sharpenhoe, so um, just near to the hotel on that bend. So we're just recommending extra care as a result of that and of course because of the fog too uh, A10 has been very slow south at uh, Chesant and there's a queue on the A405 on the roundabout off junction 21A of the M25 uh, Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio Russell, thank you very much 7.47 it is uh, Thursday the uh, 5th of September I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio uh, two men, the two men, sorry, wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning, are vowing to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid Al-Ahmed at Luton Crown Court. Bedford Hospital bosses say they'll do all they can to avoid a predicted budget deficit of £3.6 million. And in sport, Rafael Nadal is through to his fifth US Open semi-final after sweeping aside his compatriot Tommy Robredo in straight sets at Flushing Meadows. Coming up, we'll have more on that budget deficit uh, at Bedford Hospital. But before that, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. 
Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. We do still have some mist and fog patches out there on the roads, so uh, do take care if you're driving. Uh, but they should disperse nice and quickly, actually, over the next hour or so to be replaced with lots of blue skies and sunshine. Today is going to be another September scorcher. Even warmer than it was yesterday. Afternoon temperatures possibly as high as 30 or even 31 degrees Celsius. Not completely out of the question. That's 88 in Fahrenheit. So some blazing sunshine around today. A little bit of fair weather cloud and the small, small risk of one or two isolated showers perhaps developing into tonight's rush hour. But most places certainly fine and dry end of the day. And then overnight tonight we start to see the changes. So the cloud will thicken. Uh, temperatures dropping to around 14 or 15 degrees. So a fairly mild night to come. And uh, we'll start to see a few outbreaks of rain as we head uh, into dawn tomorrow. And then that rain is going to continue for much of the day. Some heavy bursts of rain around and a good deal cooler as well. We'll have lost 10 degrees Celsius somewhere along the way. So highs of only 18 degrees in many places. The cool temperatures will, uh, or relative cool te- relatively cool temperatures, will continue over the weekend. There will be some more showers around at times, but certainly lots of dry and brighter spells, perhaps even some spells of sunshine. But you'll certainly notice the temperature difference. So enjoy the sunshine today. That's the forecast. Thank you. Every weekday morning from nine, the JVS show. You just can't carry on with life. I mean, it's just awful. With the biggest opinions. It's about time somebody or organisation stood up and basically smelt the coffee. Well, it depends on the individual, actually. Let's pollute the planet even more. We should pollute it so much your Pinot Gris show goes rotten. And the biggest local talking points. What we really need to do is for everyone in, in the country to reduce their energy consumption, not increase it. The JVS show, weekdays from nine. BBC Three Counties Radio. There's been something about that advert for the JVS show that has been bugging me. It's been on for a couple of weeks. It's been bugging me, and I could not work it out what it was. There was something just jarring with me. Made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I've worked out what it was. I've just got it then. It's the gentleman who says, it's about time people stood up and smelt the coffee. No, 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 we don't stand up and smell the coffee. We, We wake up and smell the coffee. Why would you stand up to smell coffee and left it, unless it was on quite a high shelf? Reminds me of a, a phone-in on another radio station years ago. Uh, the, the, the cliched phrase that um, idiots bring out is, it's political correctness... Um, was it political... What's the saying? It's political correctness gone mad. That's it, isn't it? It's political correctness gone mad. Someone phoned up furious about something the government had done. It's political madness gone wrong, said the fool. 08459 455 555 on the subject of pronunciation. Greg is in Bedford. Morning, Greg. Morning. Morning. What, what, what have you got for us? Uh, I, I was uh, listening just briefly and as, as I was talking, and I, you were questioning about the why do we say love in French. I had the same... Um, in tennis. In tennis. Yes, yes sorry. In, in tennis, not French. Uh, I had the same um, curiosity during Wimbledon. So um, being a... Being a uh, somebody that's constantly connected to the internet. I looked it up, and I think it's disputed. Uh, yes. I was walking, so I didn't actually. I couldn't get you a particularly great long text. Um, it's disputed, but one of the, one of the beliefs is that if you were losing, you were the egg, which in French, the medieval French, was luf luf. And my French pronunciation is not very good. So, so luf the egg wasn't the that didn't mean. It, it's not because it looks like an egg. The zero that, looks that, like an egg. That, that, that's kind of it. It's, it's, it's whether you were either yeah. an egg because you were losing or because um, 
it looked zero. I'm not sure. Like I, I, this sounds like an urban myth to me, Greg. This sounds well, like it, an urban myth. We're sensible. We Brits are sensible. When we got the tennis, isn't a French game anyway, is it? It, it was played in medieval France. I thought we invented tennis. Well, we invented a lot of things. Well, I'm going to say we invented tennis. Greg, you've also called in about pronunciation. Yes. Schedule, schedule. <laughs> well, you see, I, I, have, I have this argument with my sister-in-law, who's American, and obviously they say schedule. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, she, she does defeat me when it comes to the SCH beginnings, because yep. we say school, yep. but we, then we, we turn around and say schedule. Um, uh. And I suppose, logically, we should say schedule in school, but I suppose, English being what it is, we, we say uh, schedule and school. Greg, uh, listen, uh, it's, it's our language, Greg. Don't you start taking lessons from them. We used to own that island, remember? We can take that back any time you want. Greg, thank you very much indeed. Uh, on the subject of e-cigarettes, Mark's in Bedford. Morning, Mark. Morning, how's it going on? Uh, it's good, thank you. Uh, the people who smoke these e-cigarettes, they're pompous old so-and-sos, aren't they? Well, they're not old, because I'm, uh, for, well, it's up to you. You can call me old if you like, but I'm 35. I've been smoking one for a year. Uh, I used to smoke about five, six years ago. I was on the Nicorette chewing gum and the inhalers for four years, uh, and I felt like smoking again, so I decided to uh, smoke the e-cigarette. Now, I do agree with uh, taxing them. This is the, the argument I'm going to have. Right. If, they, if they tax them, and then they do the... Uh, the medical trials on it to check that it's okay, then at least the money's going to something decent to know that these people aren't hurting themselves on it. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing clinically to say that it's safe at the moment. That's my point. So you want to... We don't... What you're saying is we don't know enough about them at the moment. We don't. I smoke one personally, but I still am not confident that it's it's okay. Mark, we've got to end it there because I've got to squeeze another story in. But thank you very much indeed. Didn't sound pompous at all. Bedford Hospital, more bad news after recent criticism by the Care Quality Commission and the loss of some of its children's services, it's now predicting a budget deficit. It made the announcement at the Hospital Trust's annual general meeting where it said the shortfall could be as high as three and a half million pounds. Well, I'm joined now by Roger Strangwick, who's from Bedford Hospital Patients Council. Roger, how significant is this possible budget deficit? I don't think it's terribly significant. I think the point about it is listening to the finance director talking... uh, I think he's sounded fairly confident that this could actually be done, that they actually could actually meet the deficit after they did it last year. Um, so I'm not that worried about it particularly. I mean, if you actually look around the, cu- the country, so many of the actual hospital trusts are suffering financially, and they're all having to sort of pull the belts in a bit in, in order to make things work, to make ends meet, really. It's not been a great year, has it, for Bedford Hospital, Roger? What's your assessment of the last 12 months or so? I think the, the paediatric area is, is really the one of greatest concern. Uh, and I think the big problem there, obviously, is the fact it's a small hospital which has difficulty in actually recruiting paediatric consultants. Uh, I think the actual uh, the danger signal should have been noted much more quickly than they were. I think the, uh, the Care Quality Commission report uh, almost inevitably was going to be a tough one because effectively, as you know, the previous um, uh, Care Quality Commission people were actually sort of thrown out. So it's a completely new broom, and I think they've got to sweep clean, which means they've got to find problems when they actually come to places. I think other hospitals will find the same problem when they have their first... But they can only find problems if those problems are there, can't they? I think so, but (laughs) let's put it this way. If If you are looking to find fault, you can find fault. Uh, there are very few places. I mean, let's put it this way. If I came down Three Counties Radio and did a quick run round, could I find anything wrong? 
Well, not between six and nine. I suggest you <laughs> look, look between nine and twelve. You might do that. But they, but we're not a hospital. We're, we're a, 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 you know, in the great scheme of things, a, a, a slightly insignificant radio station. And I mean that in comparison with the, the good work that a hospital does. If there are flaws in there, you would hope that the CQC would find them. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think the CQC has um, obviously... I think they are, at the moment, very much on their toes to try and appear to be rigorous. Right. And I think that's mean to say, and I said, I, I'm pretty sure that when they go to the next hospital, they'll find problems there, and then so on. Because they want not to appear to be bland. They need to justify their existence. They do. They do. And, I mean, this is the way, if I'm going to be a care quality commission, I go somewhere and say, it's fine, you're going to say, are you sure? I mean, I, think, I, I honestly do think that, in a sense, we were a bit unlucky at Bedford to get them when they were coming out, if you like, mm. after their real sort of their bad times. It sounds like you're, you, you're vaguely uh, encouraged by what you heard yesterday. Do, do you think um, Bedford I, Hospital is heading in the right direction? I hope so. I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm on the, I'm on the patient council, which is a group of people who are from local, the local area, who actually volunteered to be involved in the sort of running of the hospital. And certainly now I've made it quite clear to various people there that I want to be involved in going into, into, into wards, talking to patients, talking to staff, and really trying to relay those concerns back to management quicker than they did before. And I think that's the important thing. We've got to do the Care Quality Commission ourselves. Mm. In other words, we've got to go around um, monitoring what's going on passing the information back to, to the management and the management have got to act quickly. And do you, think you're, do, you're, do you think you're going to be listened to? I will be. <laughs> there you go, you see. There's a, there's a man with confidence that I'm not going until they do listen to me. Yeah. Well, Roger, listen, I, I hope you can have an impact. And I, I, it has been a tough year for Bedford Hospital. I get no joy reporting the bad things happening at Bedford Hospital. I want to come in and do a show where we go, yes, they've sorted it all out. It's, it's back up and running at maximum performance. And I, I hope we can, we can achieve that at some point well, in the not-too-distant future. Come back to me in the future. Brilliant. And, and as I said, I will tell you anything I can tell you about how things are going. Roger, we will do that. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Roger Strangwick, who's from the Bedford Hospital Patients Council. I get no pleasure reporting bad news about Bedford Hospital. I don't want to say, hey, well, you know one of our local hospitals? It's a bit rubbish. I don't enjoy it. Let's hope things can get sorted out there. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel now with Russell. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's very busy this morning, not helped by very foggy conditions in some places. The M1 delays have eased. I mean, there are still slow patches here and there, especially around Junction 10 southbound at Luton Airport, but it's nowhere near as bad as it was earlier on. A1, though, very slow south towards the Black Cat roundabout. A little bit slow approaching the Sandy roundabout. Junctions 8 to 7 on the A1M, looking very slow uh, just outside Stevenage. And then from Junction 4 at Welling Garden City, they're accused down to just before the M25 at South Mims after a fire uh, earlier on. I can see delays getting into uh, and out of Hitchin for that matter. Uh, there are some uh, delays showing uh, around uh, Clop Hill. That looking very, very busy, especially heading uh, west towards uh, the A6. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Russell, thank you very much indeed. So the last hour of the show, which teachers did you have a crush on? 12 points or more on your licence? Oh, you can carry on driving. And e-cigarettes, really? Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning.
morning, it's 8 o'clock. I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, Manning murder conviction strengthens calls for compensation. Children's services could return to Bedford by October. And work begins on Calvert Incinerator. BBC Three Counties Radio. The two men wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning are vowing to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid Ahmed at Luton Crown Court yesterday. Rachel's boyfriend, Barry White, spent six years in prison for her murder and his friend Keith Hyatt served three years for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. The convictions were quashed in 2007. And while the compensation battle continues, Keith Hyatt told this programme he harbours no ill will towards Thames Valley Police. All the police that were there uh, the other day at the court, they've all been really good, I must admit, and they've all had the courage to come up and shake our hands and say, look, sorry about this. Um, and uh, and I, I accept that from them. Mm. Bedford Hospital's paediatric services may resume as early as October. A number of children's services are currently being covered by neighbouring hospitals while the Trust deals with problems raised by trainee doctors and reiterated in a recent report by the Care Quality Commission. The hospital's acting chief executive, Stephen Conroy, is determined to turn things around. The hospital's here to stay. You know, it's a big hospital in a big town. We run a, you know, an excellent maternity unit, fully staffed A&E. We need to get the paediatric services back. But we are a proper hospital providing all services to local people and I think that has to stay. I don't see any solutions around us that could provide the services we, we do in other places. We just need to make sure it provides the best service in the most modern way. The government's insisting its flagship welfare policy, Universal Credit, will be delivered on time and on budget, despite accusations that it's been introduced without a clear idea of how it'll work. The National Audit Office has criticised the project, saying it's been hindered by weak management and ineffective control. It says ministers have had to write off more than £30 million in IT failures. A tree planting ceremony will take place today at the site of a new incinerator at Calvert in Buckinghamshire. Lee Agnew has more. Plans to build the controversial energy from waste plant were given the go-ahead last year and construction work gets underway today. The facility will take three years to build and will process 300,000 tonnes of waste annually, generating enough electricity to power 36,000 homes. FCC Environment have signed a contract to run the plant for the next 30 years, a deal which is claimed will eventually save the taxpayer more than £150 million. In sport, Rafael Nadal's through to his fifth US Open semi-final after sweeping aside a fellow Spaniard Tommy Robredo in straight sets at Flushing Meadows. Nadal needed just one hour, 45 minutes to win 6-love, 6-2, And the weather, early mist will clear to give us a hot, sunny day with a top temperature of 30 degrees Celsius. That's 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. You are the sunshine of my life. You're not, but uh, you are the bane of my life uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't look scan too well now you are the uh, the pronunciation expert are you well yes yeah you hear that door opening that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kelly betts yes kelly betts has brought you a list of russian tennis players you swine yes uh, you should have i think you got five there is that correct yes uh, let, away you go Alisa, Alisa klebanova anastasia pavlyuchenkova dmitry tursanov elena likhovtseva <laughs> Evgeny Korolev. Do, do the penultimate one again. Elena Likovtseva. I'm going to have that as my new ringtone. Are that you? Uh, yes. Yeah, That's what her name is. Likovtseva. All right, don't steady on. I'm getting excited. <laughs> uh, that, now, listen, considering that was just sprung on you, that wasn't bad at all. Mm. That wasn't bad at all. However, 
However, however, you are completely wrong about harassment. No, I'm not. You are so wrong, Catherine! So the Oxford English Dictionary's wrong, then? The thing... Did the, you see that link I sent you? I can't... My emails aren't working. Oh, what a coincidence. My emails aren't working. Oh, what a shame. The thing that annoys me most about you... And yeah, that, what and there are many. Exactly. This is, this is in the top 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you just will not accept... When you're wrong. When I'm wrong, Catherine... When I will, it happens, yeah. I'll be surprised, but I will accept it. When I'm wrong, I'm the first one to go, do you know what? I'm wrong. Uh, and, uh, really? It, 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 <laughs> why can't you do that? Well, when I'm wrong, I will. Yes. I'll try anyway. Thank you very much. All I can say is it's a long podcast this week. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's five minutes past eight. Wow. It's Thursday, it's the 5th of September. This week is just sailing by. Lots coming up between now and JVS at nine o'clock, including... Well, we've, uh, we've heard that the correct person has been sentenced for the murder of Rachel Manning. We'll be hearing more on that in just a few minutes' time. E-cigarettes, do you use them? Should there be tighter regulations on who can use e-cigarettes? And everyone's had a crush on their teacher, haven't they? Front page, front page news. Pippa Middleton used to fancy her hockey teacher. I bet he's at home, delighted with himself. Who did you used to fancy at school? Which teachers did you used to fancy and why? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Text 81333. Start your text 3CR. And then give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. Well, yesterday, a 13-year hunt for a killer came to an end as 41-year-old Shahid Al-Ahmed from Bletchley was jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning. Incredible story, not only because uh, the, the horrific murder of Rachel, but because two men were wrongly convicted and a family had to relive every detail, not once, but four times in court. And a man who for 10 years thought he'd gotten away with murder was finally convicted. The chain of events which led to uh, Ahmed's uh, conviction started when in 2010, 10 years after Rachel death, Rachel's death, uh, Mr Ahmed was arrested for an unrelated sexual assault after the actions of a good Samaritan led to his arrest. Well, that good Samaritan was David Rogers from Milton Keynes, and we can speak to him now. Good morning, David. Good morning. David, explain to, to me and the listeners exactly what happened, how you're involved with this. Um, well, basically, I stopped in Bletchley. Um, it was early hours morning, and um, this young girl was walking down... Um, well, through Bletchley, and this car pulled up by the side of her. Um, she got into it, and then about a minute later, she got out screaming, and um, she started walking away. The car then drove off, and then it came back inside. Um, it, it pulled up next, near her and kept watching her. So I walked up to her and asked her if she was all right, and she said, that's when she turned around and said that he tried to attack her. And so I walked her home, but he kept following us. Uh, so I walked her to the door, to the front door, then um, walking back to my car, he kept um, following me. So I then reported it. To the... So hang on a second. So, so the, the, you, you see this... How old was this, this young lady, roughly? I, I, uh, I'll say 
early teens. Uh, so early teens. So she's been she's been uh, attacked and obviously suffered a horrific experience. And this guy's still following about. Even when you were escorting her home, he was this, this car was still following you and then followed you on your own. Yeah, yeah. How did that make you feel, David? Must have, must have been a little bit uncomfortable. Well, it was a bit. <laughs> Are you, are you a big fella? Do you, do, you know, do you look like you could look after yourself? Well, not no way. <laughs> no. Well, and and um, you, you got the young lady home. Well done you for doing that. Not, not many people would have, I, I don't think, but well done. Uh, right. At what point did you think, I'm going to call the police about this guy? There's obviously something going on here. Well, it wasn't... It was because he kept following us, and it, he kept driving past, and he would turn around and um, come back past us again. And, and after about three attempts, uh, after about three goes, um, I managed to get the registration, and then I said to the girl, did you want to report it to the police? And she said, no, not really, because the police won't do nothing about it. So, um, I then walked her to the door, and as I was walking back to my car, he was still hanging about. So, then I thought, well, I'd better do something, and so I, um, took his registration, the rest of the registration and went to the police station in Milton Keynes. Well, well done again for doing that, uh, uh, David. Above and beyond, I would suggest. Uh, 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 you obviously at the time didn't realise that uh, the gentleman driving the car was actually um, uh, had committed a murder ten years before. When did you see the connection between what happened to you and uh, the the events involving Rachel Manning? Um, I actually found out in December last year when I had a phone call from the police asking me to go to um, as a witness in. Um, Luton Ground call um, with regards to this incident. So that was when I first found out. <laughs> and what did you think when you heard heard that this this chap might be responsible for a murder? I can't believe it. It's just always. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's frightening, isn't it? it? Well, it is frightening, and as, as I was say, it's funny. Funny's the wrong word, but in, in some ways, it's the right word. It's funny how you know that these things can all be linked up, and and, and you helping out a young lady uh, uh, from a situation mm. solved a murder, vindicated two young men who'd been sent to prison incorrectly. Um, you, you must feel pretty pretty proud of yourself. Why? Well, a little bit. <laughs> David, listen, well done. I wish there were more people like you out there. It's, it's, it's a cracking story and, and, and well done for, for helping out. David Rogers there, uh, who helped out and, and, and inadvertently helped solve a murder case. Well, I said two, two young men did serve time in prison. Barry White and Keith Hyatt uh, were convicted of, of murder and uh, uh, perverting the course of justice. Well, their convictions were quashed after a BBC Rough Justice programme questioned the evidence used to convict them. Mark Daly was the reporter on BBC's Rough Justice programme. Mark, how did, uh, the, the, how did you become aware of, of Barry White and Keith Hyatt and, and what had happened to them? Good morning, Ian. Well, we were contacted by the by the families of these men uh, at Rough Justice we would receive you know dozens of letters from prisoners from up and down the country saying that they were innocent men and you know the vast majority of these these people were most likely not innocent men so we had to look for things that stood out about cases and in this case three things really stood out one was the character of the of the the men who had been convicted neither of them had convictions for violence neither of them um, had any, you know, was any suggestion that they would have been capable of doing something like this. The second thing was that the just the implausibility of the prosecution case. In order, because Barry and Keith had gone out and looked for Rachel that night, their their van had been spotted in various different locations within the city centre in Milton Keynes. So for them to have done what they were accused uh, of doing 
that has driven uh, Rachel's dead body to Woburn Golf Course, eight miles away, disfigured the body, dragged it up, uh, you know, a, a muddy embankment, and then left it there, got back to the car, completely cleaned all traces of that that uh, deposition site off their clothes and van and got back to Milton Keynes. They would have had to have been, um, you know, had the cunning and speed and strength of military commandos and, you know, commandos they were not. And, and the third and final thing was um, the, the paucity of the forensic evidence that, 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 that really was a very thin forensic case against these men. So that was what made us take the case up and um, very quickly, you know, we, we were quite sure we were dealing with a, a very serious miscarriage of justice. I imagine you got to know um, uh, both parties, uh, Barry White and uh, Keith Hyatt, very well over the period of working uh, on this. Well, no. Uh, I only got to know both men very well after the period because they were both in prison. Right. Um, uh, Keith, Keith was released uh, before the transmission of the programme because he was serving a shorter sentence that was for perverting the course of justice, as you said. So uh, yeah, since then, throughout the last um, eight or so years, I have got to know both men very well, and both of them have been incredibly dignified throughout this whole thing. They've had to endure unimaginable torments. Um, you know, being in prison for a murder he didn't commit, you know, from Barry's point of view and from Keith's point of view, simply going out and helping a mate mm. with his girlfriend and to suddenly have your life thrown in turmoil. The turmoil Keith and Barry have gone through is, is a very different one, of course, from from Rachel's parents. There's been a lot said about that. They also have, um, well, what, what can you say about having to endure what they have? Mm. No parent, no grieving parent especially should have to go through what they've gone through. But for Keith and Barry, who I, who I have come to know very well, I, I really hope this will be the beginning of um, a, a new chapter in their life. They can try to put this behind them and, uh, well, start again. Well, we spoke to Keith earlier on, and you're right, he, he does seem like a very down-to-earth, very, you know, sensible, well-mannered gentleman. And you, you do have to hope that this, is, this, this can be the beginning of, of some sort of new life for them. You've got a follow-up programme, haven't you, next Monday. What's that about? Yeah, it goes out next Monday night, 7.30. Um, and it, this is really about life after life you know what happens after a life sentence many people think that if someone is wrongly convicted of a crime they have a conviction quashed they walk out of the prison doors they get a big pile of money and and they go off into the sunset and everybody's happy you know it just doesn't it doesn't work like that these men haven't had a penny yet not a penny since since their convictions were quashed more than uh, six years ago so they really struggled um, not only to adapt to civilian life but struggled because until today or, to, or, or until the conviction yesterday there's still been this stigma mm. hanging over them they still feel the guilt hey there's of, no smoke of, without fire we all know that that's, Ian, that's exactly yeah. what many people will have thought right up until that conviction mm. yesterday, so hopefully that has been put to bed and Keith and Barry can hold, them, hold their heads high and not on Keynes It's, or it's an incredible story. Just remind us again when the programme's on, Mark. The programme's on next Monday night. Um, it's called Life After Life, Barry and Keith's story, and it's on BBC East um, next Monday, 7.30. Mark, thank you very much indeed. People, you know, oh, there's no smoke without fire. Well, they must have done something else. They didn't do anything. And to have that cloud hanging over you, 
kind of begin to feel what it's like. Uh, that was Mark Daly there. Invest- he's now the investigations correspondent with BBC Scotland. Mark was the reporter on the uh, BBC's Rough Justice programme, which challenged the conviction of Rachel Manning's boyfriend. Good work there. It's 8.16. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel, shall we? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, There's still quite a lot of mist and fog around. I think it's lifted a bit how it was earlier on, but it's still left a few delays. The M1, uh, not as bad as it was. I mean, there are sections of it that still look slow, but I don't think it's the uh, the worst of the problems we've got this morning. The A1 uh, looks very slow south towards the Black Cat roundabout. Short queue approaching the Sandy roundabout, and then uh, the stretch going from Letchworth Garden City down to uh, uh, Stevenage very slow, all the way from Junction 9 at Letchworth down to uh, 7, the uh, Stevenage south turn, and uh, then further into London. It's still very slow from Junction 4 in patches uh, down towards the M25 at South Mims after a fire earlier on, although that does look like it's eased a bit to how it was earlier on. The A414 is looking very slow uh, west towards the A1M. And also see delays on the A1000, the Great North Road, uh, which is looking very busy in patches uh, coming up towards the sort of Hatfield area, really, Wayne Garden City. Um, there are some delays on the A414 approaching the London Coney roundabout. M25 has been very slow, particularly through the roadworks around Junction 25, turn for the A10. Uh, clockwise is slow from around 22 at London Coney, anti-clockwise from Junction 27, turn for the M11. We had a report that a car had overturned on Harlington Road between Harlington and Sharpenhoe, so some local delays. Uh, possible as a result of that but to be honest in looking at the speed centres there are loads of roads that are looking really busy this morning far too many to go into uh, sort of details with really but I mean Hartford for example the A414 looking very slow uh, coming in from the A10 uh, Russell Holding BBC Three Counties Radio Russell thank you very much indeed it's nearly 8.18. It's Thursday, the 5th of uh, September. I nearly said February there for some reason. I don't quite know why. Uh, I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The two men wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning are vowing to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid al-Ahmed at Luton Crown Court. Bedford Hospital bosses are vowing to resume children's services by as early as October. Acting Chief Executive Stephen Conroy says he'll make every effort to avoid a prediction budget deficit of £3.6 million. In sport, Rafael Nadal is through to his fifth US Open semi-final after beating Tommy Robredo in straight sets. Coming up, stop puffing on that thing in your mouth. E-cigarettes could soon be available only on prescription. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chet and Partook on BBC Three Counties Radio. On Sunday night, I'll be live from one of the east of England's biggest Asian music events. Luton Mela is in its 13th year, and if you can't make it yourself, I'll bring it all to you. It all comes from Wardown Park, and you'll be able to soak up the atmosphere of Luton's biggest Asian party. Come down and meet us, or get the whole experience right here. Chet and Partook. Live from Luton Mela, Sunday night from 6 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Guys, guys. JVS, you're, you're desperately clinging on. You're right. No. Hang on. Yes. You're desperately clinging on to summer, aren't you? Look at you in your little polo shirt. <laughs> With your arms out there trying to catch those last few rays. Today is the last day, then that's it. It's back to normal weather. Thank goodness. Oh, you don't do you don't mean I do that. mean it. Do you? Too hot yesterday. Too Too hot yesterday. Don't be stupid. In September. It was lovely yesterday. Uh, no, it was it was horrible. It was I sat on my balcony. 
I had a beer in the sun, evening sunshine, gorgeous. It's, um, is that the balcony that you sometimes hoover? <laughs> yes, it you is. Weirdo. Yeah. Why would you hoover a balcony? Well, it gets all the bits up. But those bits shouldn't be in a vacuum cleaner. They should be in a dustpan. Yes, but you can... I found that if you vacuum with the brush attachment, you can get a bit more... <laughs> bit more Are you one of those people that actually uses the attachments you get with your vacuum cleaner? Yes. Oh, they just go in a... Bo- they go in the cupboard for six months and they go in the bin. What? Why would... No one, no one changes... I even bought... I even bought extra attachments for my vacuum. I did. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> you weren't supposed to comment on that on that mime. That was a private mime. That was a prime. Well, no, I have. I did buy. <laughs> so childish. Very I did, childish. I did buy extra attach. Why? How many different surfaces have you got? <laughs> I've got. I've got carpet. I've got carpet. I've got carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Just did another mime. <laughs> I got look at those two grumpy people in there looking at us. I got carpet, parquet, tile, <laughs> sofas. You do the sofas? No, the sofas leather. The cat? <laughs> no, I'd love to. I wish I could, but he's terrified of the vacuum cleaner. But I'd love to. I could. I could stuff a mattress with my cat. I think that's cruel. <laughs> You're getting told, told off for that, for goodness sakes. Honestly, he molts like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Ah, uh, harassment or harassment? Well, it's interesting you, you say that, because I have a sneaky feeling it might be harassment, but I say harassment. I think probably harassment is American. No. It's, uh, let me ask you a question. How do you Please say... Do. Uh, Controversy or controversy? I say it's very controversial and there is a lot of controversy. That's the American. Controversy is the English. Right. So really, as a, uh, as a presenter on the BBC, you should say controversy. Richard? Hello? Yes, c- controversy or controversy? Controversy. No, it's American. You're wrong. Nonsense. I'll get my Oxford Dictionary speaking, speaking um, disc out, if you like, because it, it not only tells you how to CD pronounce the word, it actually says speak them for you. Well, it may not be speaking as, it correctly. I think the word conyoshenti, sorry? It may not be pronouncing it correctly. Is that JVS? Yes. JVS, much as I love you, can I pick you up on your totally incorrect use of the reflexive pronoun? You can. May I? Yes. I can, but may I? Thank you. I love you dearly, as you know, um, but you're always saying when you've got a guest in the studio, you're through to Fred and myself. Yes. No, no, Fred no, and no, me. No, no, yes. Fred and me, thank yes. you. With myself, yourself, itself, it's a state agent language when they would say to someone, I think this property is really suitable for yourselves. <laughs> don't cry, about it, Richard. Don't cry. I I say, what's wrong with this man? Is there something wrong with him? I know it's emotional, but don't cry. <laughs> have, you, have you finished picking on my colleague? I was going to say, he's no, making some very well, no, disgusting noises. another one that keeps on going about the HS2, HS2 radio, um, r- it's railway. A, it's a railway. It's H, it's not H, it's H, A-I-T-C-H. Of all those people tuned in that weren't given a proper education like, I, like what I was, it's H, look it up in the dictionary, A-I-T-C-H. And if you like, I will come on at another stage and... De- no, you won't. So, I think we can all breathe a sigh of relief that Richard's not related to any of us. What's on your show today? Coming up on the big phone-in, 
What do you think would put children off smoking? <laughs> Graphic images. Are you all right? What's what's, what's happening? Are you all right? It's all just built up. It's all the stress is built up. Sorry. Yes. Imagine family parties when Uncle Richard comes. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh. <laughs> what do you think would put children off smoking? Uncle Richard. Graphic. Yeah. Just put Uncle Richard on the front of your silk cut. Graphic images of rotten lungs and mouldy teeth don't deter young people from taking up smoking. That's according to new research from the journal Tobacco Control. Over 2,011 to 16-year-olds took part in the three-year study, which showed half had seen the warnings, but just one in five stopped to read them properly. Well, this morning from nine on the big phone, and what do you think would put children off smoking? I want your view on 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. He is naughty. He's naughty, isn't he? Comes in here, sabotages my show. Well, the reason we're talking about smoking this morning is uh, that there are calls for tighter regulations on e-cigarettes. EU proposals are due to be voted on next week that would see e-cigarettes treated in the same way as medicines. It could mean that you'd have to get a prescription to use them. It's all part of a draft law to make smoking less attractive to the young. Well, I'm joined now by Dr Ram Murthy, who's from the British Medical Association. Good morning, uh, Dr Ram. What's, what are your view on, views on e-cigarettes? Um, thank you, um, and good morning. Um, at the BMA, we're very keen that um, the public needs to um, get the benefits of the uh, smoking legislations that have taken place already and that e-cigarettes potentially could damage that, uh, especially as they're currently unregulated and we're not really sure of the evidence of if they are going to help people with stopping to smoke and, more importantly, with their safety as well. One of the arguments put forward to uh, someone who was representing the e-cigarette companies uh, uh, earlier on in the show is that they are less harmful than cigarettes. They haven't got the 4,000-odd toxin in them, toxins in them. They've just got nicotine, which isn't particularly harmful at all. Um, well, that, they are less harmful than cigarettes, but nicotine itself is a toxic stimulant, especially in high doses. So um, nicotine on its own isn't safe either. But also what's more worrying is that um, some of the studies that have gone on with uh, various e-cigarettes available in the market also show that they contain other harmful t- um, toxins, including those um, chemicals that potentially can cause cancer in humans as well and that because the market is currently unregulated, there is no way that the consumer can know how safe the e-cigarette they're using is. Should people need a prescription to get e-cigarettes? I don't think it should be treated any differently if they're properly regulated than nicotine patches or gums that are already available easily to the public. Uh, But what the MHRA and what we are supporting is that e-cigarettes should fall under that category of product so that we can be sure that they're manufactured correctly, that the dosages they're providing are accurate, and that the public is confident that these are safe products that they can use safely as a way to try and minimise the harmful effects of tobacco. I haven't spoken to any 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds on this, and I guess it'd be good to get their opinion. Do they... What seems cooler to them? Because it's all about coolness, isn't it? Is it smoking real fags, or is it e-cigarettes? Do do, do young people actually want to smoke e-cigarettes? 
I don't think there's any kind of clear evidence out there, but I think the concern is is that because e-cigarettes don't fall under the same marketing regulations that tobacco products do, is that they can be made to look uh, cool, Mm. uh, they can be made to look uh, fashionable, and that unfortunately this could be a way of then getting young people into a smoking habit, and that's what the big concern is, especially with all the... Um, work that has gone on in the years gone by about trying to reduce the harmful effects of smoking and especially trying to reduce um, exposure of young children who are most uh, who we're most worried about about starting a smoking habit. Is there? A, you may not know this. Is there an age restriction on e-cigarettes like uh, there is with real cigarettes? I'm not sure, and I think you need to speak to the okay. manufacturer. We will put that out there. Dr. Yeah. Ram Murthy from the uh, BMA. Thank you very much indeed. A quick question: Does anyone know the answer to that? Is there an age restriction? On e-cigarettes like there is with, with real cigarettes, 08459 455 555. Sometimes um, I, I use you as my researchers, my eyes and ears, my reporters. We've got excellent reporters here. Of course we have. Uh, we've got some who don't cut the mustard as well. I'm looking at one right now. Uh, but uh, sometimes you can do the reporting just as well, if not better, than some of the people here. So I need you to give me a call now. Are there age restrictions on e-cigarettes? Could a 14-year-old go into their local Bunces or their local Stars or their local John, uh, John Menzies and buy some e-cigarettes? Or not? 08459 This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's nearly half past eight on Thursday morning. Let's get the latest travel news now with Russell. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, there are lots of delays, including a nasty accident now on the A421 on the Great Barford Bypass. That has been closed eastbound, Ian, just before you get to the A1 at the Black Cat roundabout. So that adding to the usual delays there. And the A1 towards there looking very slow. Uh, it also looks slow towards the uh, Sandy Roundabout. Actually, it's not too bad at the Sandy Roundabout, to be honest. Uh, the bit going down from Letchworth to Stephen is still very slow. Junction 9 uh, down to uh, 7. And then it's starting to uh, get very slow again now from Junction um, 4. It's looking busy. Well, no, it's more, more around the sort of South Mims area really where it's looking very very slow uh, down towards the uh, the m25 there m25 various bits of that have been looking very busy um just in patches particularly where the roadworks are around junction 25 the turn for the a10 uh, then there's uh, a queue coming down the a10 uh, towards the m25 as well coming off the a10 towards hartford has been very very slow according to the speed sensors there are also uh, delays on uh, various bits of the m1 at one point earlier when it was really really foggy there were long delays it's just a little bit busy now around junction 12, Tollington Athletic Turn 11, the A505 Luton and Dunstable Turn down towards 10 at Luton Airport. Uh, the A40, there's an accident on Western Avenue at Ickenham affecting eastbound traffic approaching uh, the Swakeley's roundabout. There's a queue on the London Coney roundabout just off junction 21A of the M25. A5 is looking very busy this morning uh, through Dunstable, then northbound up towards Hotcliffe uh, looks very slow. And there are some delays on the A505 just outside Leighton Buzzard. Uh, traffic looks really, really busy on the westbound side going towards and past the Grovebury Road Junction. Uh, Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the 
Dirty Headlines, I'm Catherine Boyle. The two men wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning say they're determined to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid Al-Ahmed at Luton Crown Court yesterday. Bedford Hospital bosses are vowing to resume children's services there by as early as October. Acting Chief Executive Stephen Conroy says he'll make every effort to avoid a predicted budget deficit of £3.6 million. And the government insists its flagship welfare policy, Universal Credit, will be delivered on time and on budget, despite accusations that it's been introduced without a clear idea of how it'll work. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Tennis and Rafa Nadal through to the US Open semi-finals for a fifth time after thrashing his compatriot Tommy Robredo in straight sets. David Law was watching at Flushing Meadows. This was a breathtaking performance from Nadal which underlined his position as the favourite to win the title. His opponent Robredo had beaten Roger Federer in straight sets in the previous round but it took him 40 minutes just to win a game. He won only four in total as Nadal stepped inside the baseline, bossing rallies with extraordinary aggression. The only time Nadal has lost to his semi-final opponent, Richard Gasquet, was in the Under-14 World Championships. It'll take a very special performance for the Frenchman to triumph in his first US Open semi-final. Earlier, the women's world number two, Victoria Azarenka, set up a semi-final against Flavia Panetta in a straight sets win over Daniela Hantuchova. In football, the new FA chairman Greg Dyke says more homegrown players are the key to meeting his ambitious goal of seeing England win the World Cup in 2022. A quota system is just one of the measures he'll consider introducing. Going forward, we will certainly give ourselves a much better chance of winning tournaments if we have a bigger talent pool of players to pick from, which means having more English players who are consistent starters in the Premier League. The president of the International Olympic Committee, Jack Rogg, says his organisation will consider whether Russia's Yelena Isambayeva should be dropped as Olympic ambassador following her comments about homosexuals. The world pole vault champion later said her comments were misunderstood. And that's your latest news and sport. I'll be back with more at nine o'clock. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Hey, don't forget that uh, this show has a weekly podcast. A podcast you can carry me around in your pocket, should you so wish. Uh, You can get it by going to the BBC Three Counties uh, um, page. Um, web, website, I think they call it these days, and uh, you can download it from there. So I suddenly became a very old man, confused by all this new technology. Or if you use iTunes, you can go to iTunes, type in Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E, BBC, and it pops up. It comes up every week. They only stay online for about 30 days. I know not why, but get them while you can. Uh, coming up in the last 30 minutes of the show, we'll be talking about which teachers you had a crush on, pronunciation, uh, and also getting your thoughts on uh, e-cigarettes after there are calls by the EU to uh, restrict them a little bit more. I struggle with e-cigarettes. I think if you're going to give up smoking, give up smoke. Either, either man up and smoke real cigarettes or stop smoking altogether. Don't have this halfway house thing in the middle. It's ridiculous. And there's a certain smugness, isn't there, about the uh, e-cigarette smokers. Rob's in Biggleswade. Rob, would you agree with me? There's a certain smug air about those people who smoke e-cigarettes. Uh, not really, to be honest. Uh, I, I felt like a bit of a fool using it. But um, it worked for me, and I have, I have given up smoking. Well, but you've given up smoking, but you're, you're still addicted to nicotine. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. Why? You sound, you sound quite reluctant. You sound as though you're a little bit embarrassed to be seen using these things. Yeah, I was. I mean, it's got a bright like, green light on the end of it, and people look at you. I, I still went outside into a smoking area 
part in the pubs and that, but... Let's yeah. be honest, you do meet the most interesting people in the smoking area, in, in, in pubs and clubs and things like that. You do, you have uh, the best conversations you, out there. there. There are some pretty good conversations to be had, but, but, do, do you, um, so how long have you been, how long have you been smoking these e-cigarettes for? Uh, it was about three months. Hmm. And now I've stopped smoking, completely. Uh, have you stopped the e-cigarettes? Yeah. Oh, well, well done. And, and how long have you been off those for? Uh, about a month. And how are you finding it? Yeah, fine now. Beautiful. Well, they, in that case, if that's what you've used them for, to help you bridge that gap between mm. smoking real cigarettes and giving up completely, well, then that's wonderful. Usual. Can you, do you know, do, is, are there age restrictions on e-cigarettes? Can kids go and buy them? As far as I know, it's 18. 18. Okay, brilliant. Rob, thank you very much indeed, and well done you. He's used them for the proper pur- purpose. He's um, used as the bridge. Uh, on the subject of Rachel Manning, a gentleman, uh, of course, was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment uh, yesterday for the murder of Rachel Manning. That was uh, Shahid Al Ahmed. Uh, Pat in Houghton Regis has called in. Pat, what, what would you like to say about that? Yeah, I just think what a brave man to intervene uh, on the teenager that uh, led to his conviction. This was, this was uh, David Rogers, just so that anyone missed it. This was David Rogers, who ten years after the attack saw a young girl kind of being hassled and harassed and threatened a bit by someone in a car. He walked her home. The car followed him. He thought, I'm having none of this. And he called up the police. Turns out it was the fellow that had committed the murder. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, she's highlighted that the actual victim of that uh, incident highlighted that she uh, didn't want to report it because she didn't think the police wouldn't do anything. Mm. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And And the police, in the way they're going with their service, um, probably are losing a lot of witnesses to a lot of crimes because people have lost that trust with what they're doing at the moment or what they're not doing. Mm. But did you not... I, I would have thought... Li- listen, if I found up and told the police my car had been broken into, uh, I, I wouldn't expect anything. If I told them my house had been broken into, I'd expect a visit and that's it. But if you phoned up and said, look, there's, there's a car, this is the number plate, it's a, it's a green Vauxhall Astra or whatever, and it's been har- harassing a teenage girl... The police would the police would look into that, wouldn't they? Well, obviously they would. They did. I'm not so sure because uh, I mean I've seen incident where someone's been punched, punched, well punched in the face. Um, now one of my relatives and the police didn't come out for several days, and they knew the name of that person. The same within an hour didn't bother. So you've got those sort of crimes going on, and these people that go into these sort of crimes get more serious with what they're doing. And you've got to stop them quite early on. And this is where the police are letting us all down. Uh, Pat, thank you very much indeed. Um, I mean, the, yes, the police messed up in this. Uh, the, uh, didn't mess up when uh, it was report when Dave Rogers reported the car. They got the details. They went and found out exactly what was going on. Found out who it was. And um, oh, a cup of tea. Thank you, Sophia. I've forgotten no about that. It's very yeah. kind of you. Uh, and uh, they went and arrested the fella. So in that case, they did what they were supposed to do. Yes, they messed up terribly with Barry White and uh, Keith, who uh, went to prison for a, a crime they did not commit. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Can we get Catherine Boyle? 
Come downstairs. Can we get Catherine Boyle downstairs? Because I think she might want to take part in this part. I know Catherine's upstairs listening. Run down as quick as you can, because we're going to find out the answers to uh, these pronunciation arguments we've been having all morning. Prompted by Catherine, uh, Catherine mispronouncing certain words. Well, we're joined now by Paul Curswill, who is Professor of Sociolinguistics at the University of York. Paul, good morning. Hello, good morning. Paul, it sounds like a fascinating job. Is, is there a, a, a strict, correct way to pronounce words, or is there sometimes some variation that's legitimate? Um, I think there is, uh, on some occasions, there are correct ways of pronouncing words, and on other occasions, there are, uh, it, it's okay to be different. I think so. Uh, six of one, and half a dozen of the other. Let's get schedule schedule out of though. Which is the British way? Which is the American way? Okay, schedule is the British way. Schedule is the American way. But if you ask a if you ask a hundred nineteen uh, year olds, as I do sometimes at, here at university, uh, the vast majority say schedule. So there's been a big shift. There's been a change. I say schedule and generation and a half down the line it's scheduled and and i guess that's part of what makes the english language so wonderful is that it it evolves doesn't it 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 changes all the time yeah i mean schedule and schedule just a small thing just just one isolated word i mean if you think of uh all the new words we've got coming in you know to do with uh the internet first and social social media and so on yeah it just goes on and on why do we say schedule but we say school um let me see everyone's always said school uh school is a it's a very old word. It, it came in with Means the Anglo-Saxons, and they, they said school. Um, and, um, well, I, do, do you know? I don't really know. Oh, I've, I've, why, don't, why don't we say shul? We probably should say shul. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've, yeah. I've thrown a curveball at you. Now, listen, Paul, the reason that, uh, that we're having this, it, 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 it's friendly between you and I, but it's been a frosty morning between myself and our newsreader, <laughs> Catherine Boyle. Catherine has joined me in the studio. Good morning, Catherine. Hello. Showing a little bit too Hello, much, Lee. Just put, dip that. Oh, Thank hello. you. Uh, now, we, we have been having a big up. What's the word we've been arguing about? I accused you of harassment. And it's not, it's harassment, isn't it? Yeah, you got me stumped on that, because oh. I was trying to think, now what is the old, what is the correct form? And I, I think that means that, that really they're both correct. Oh. I think, I'm feeling harassment might be the older form, but I mean, harassment is The correct common. form, you mean? Well, no, hang no, on. I'm saying the older form. I'm not saying the correct form. <laughs> and again, Catherine is definitely <laughs> the older form. Please say the correct form. I'll never live this down. Uh, but so they're, they're both they're both acceptable. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. both equally right as each other. But harassment is probably more right because I'd imagine more people say it that way. So I think yeah. I mean, as, I, I think um, since exactly as you say, as, as usage, it's usage that really governs what's correct in the end. Yes. Um, and if Catherine that word's changed, usage. then that's you know that's fine in a way. Yeah. Mm. So yes. Are, are there are there d- d- rules that we should be following when it comes t- to names that we've never come across before? It's very hard to know what to do. I mean, if you know a bit of French, you know a bit of German, then you try your best. But you don't try and uh, to, to make them sound exactly French or exactly German because there are sorts of um, you know English ways of mispronouncing French words that are just about acceptable. Um, it's so weird, is it? Because we don't down here, down south, we say Newcastle, but of course it's not Newcastle; it's Newcastle. It's not even Newcastle, it's Newcastle. Newcastle, you put the weight on the castle. Newcastle. Newcastle, that's what they say in... Andrew Castle. (laughs) Newcastle. That's right, yeah. And we don't... Does it annoy you as much as it annoys me when certain newsreaders, not yourself, Catherine, you don't do... Or you do it a little bit with Spanish and Portuguese. Well, that's because I speak both. But But that... that, Yeah, I try not to do it. But sometimes it's impossible. Well, people... Some (laughs) news reporters do the accent. So, uh, earlier on in Istanbul, there were (laughs) terror... You you know, they they do the, uh, the regional accent... 
Who are you talking about? You're talking about... Well, BBC yeah. presenters do it yeah. quite often, don't yeah. they? BBC presenters often have regional accents. Is that what you're talking about? No, he's saying if you're speaking, if you're uh, saying a foreign word yeah. and you put the uh, French accent on, it's a little yeah. bit irritating yeah, right. to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is about that is that um, I suppose if you if you pronounce it absolutely correctly, it might might sound a bit so, as, as if you're putting on airs, really, somehow. Yeah. So you you adjust it slightly. And the other thing is that the, your English-speaking audience may not actually understand the French word if you say it completely correctly. Um, so. I mean, there's one interesting thing there, and that is that we have our own pronunciations for a whole lot of French place names and German place names and Italian place names. And we, we say Rome, we don't put the A on the end, we don't say Roma, or um, we certainly don't say Roma. So um, there, are, there are conventions right across Europe um, for how to pronounce foreign words. Um, but if you've got a foreign word, like a, a, you're mentioning athletes' names, then mm. you just have to do your best with it, really. You said, <laughs> I like that attitude. Paul Kurzweil, thank you very much indeed. Professor of Sociolinguistics at the University of York. I like that attitude. Just got to do your best. Foreign names, you just got to do your best. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the tip you do. gave me. You said, just say it confidently and no one will know. <laughs> and I don't, I hesitate. <laughs> we sent, so I'm right about harassment. No, you were wrong. I'm right. We sent Sophie out with this list of Russian players' names to see if, uh, oh, if any locals could um, could say them. Let's have a listen. Elisa, Claire Branova. Kim, can't pronounce that at all. Claire Branova. Claire Branova. Anastasia Pavlik... Pav... No, can't say that. Pavlichenkova. Pavlichinikova. Dmitry Turumov. Tirzanov. 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 Elena Likokstis. Lick off to save her. That was your favourite one, wasn't it? <laughs> Lick off to save you. <laughs> it just sounds very naughty, doesn't it? Just the way he said it. What are you hanging about for? Um, I was waiting to be dismissed. Dismissed. Class Thank dismissed. You. I was right, by the way. You were wrong. I was right! You were wrong! Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's eight forty five. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. It's time to get the travel. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the A421 remains closed eastbound, Ian, along the Great Barford Bypass. It's been closed on the approach to the A1 at the Black Cat roundabouts, about a half a mile before the roundabout, where a couple of uh, vehicles are involved in an accident, so that causing queues. Uh, traffic's also uh, been slow on the southbound approach to the Black Cat roundabout. In fact, both directions on the A1 looking a little bit slow, but it's eased house earlier on. Uh, short queue south towards the Sandy roundabout, very slow still, all the way from Junction 9 at Letchworth down to 7, Stevenage south turn, and then further down the A1M around South Mims uh, down towards the uh, M25. It's looking very, very busy. Um, I can see some delays on the A505 uh, in both directions, just off the A5 at Dunstable. The A5 looks very slow in both directions there as well. Um, other delays include the uh, well, the M1 hasn't actually been too bad. First thing this morning it was. It looks a little bit slow from 12 down to 11. That's Tottenham from Flitwick to the A505, and then down on the approach to Junction 9, so 10 to 9, Luton Airport to the A5. M25, that looks very slow clockwise in patches 22 to 23 from St Albans London Coney round to uh, the uh, South Mims area anti-clockwise queuing in patches from junction 27 to 25 that's the M11 to the A10 uh, there is an accident on the A40 uh, into uh, town at the Swakeley's roundabout Harlington Road I'm told is still blocked by an overturned car between Harlington and Sharpenhoe Russell Holding BBC 
Three Counties Radio. Russell, thank you very much. It's coming up to 8.47. It's Thursday, the 5th of September. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The two men wrongly jailed for the murder of Rachel Manning are vowing to continue their fight for compensation following the conviction of 41-year-old Shahid al-Ahmed at Luton Crown Court. Bedford Hospital bosses are vowing to resume children's services by as early as October. Acting Chief Executive Stephen Conroy says he'll make every effort to avoid a predicted budget deficit of £3.6 million. In sport, Rafael Nadal is through to his fifth US Open semi-final after beating Tommy Robredo in street sets. Coming up, staff. But first of all, here's the weather with Elizabeth. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, good morning to you. Well, today could be the last blast of summer, certainly for a long time. We're not going to see the sort of temperatures that we're seeing today or that we will be seeing this afternoon. We're looking at 30, even 31 degrees Celsius across the three counties. That's uh, that's 88 in Fahrenheit. We could be setting some September records as well. Um, there has been a bit of mist out there, still a few patches left to disperse, but they will be gone soon to be replaced with blue skies and lots of sunshine around. A um, little bit of fair weather cloud, nothing more than that really. The chance of one or two showers springing up as we head into tonight's rush hour it's true but most places are going to be fine and dry all day and it will stay mostly dry overnight until we get to dawn tomorrow lows tonight down to 14 or 15 degrees celsius tomorrow though it's going to turn wet it'll be quite breezy at times and uh, relatively cool as well highs of only 18 or 19 degrees celsius it's looking pretty similar all weekend as well there will be some dry brighter spells at times but the risk of some showers and with highs of only 18 degrees it's certainly going to feel cool compared to today. That's the forecast. Roberto Peroni on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're at home, sit back, because this is going to be very, very interesting. You've got the selfie, the legsy, the bumsy. (laughs) You're going to start that trend. Roberto Peroni. We seem to be heading um, headlong into war again. We're very keen to stop this from happening. We don't know where this might lead. The lie that took us into the Iraq war could become a shocking truth in this one. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, Two men who were wrongly jailed for murdering a teenager from Milton Keynes say they finally feel vindicated. Shahid al-Ahmed from Bletchley is starting a life sentence this morning for murdering uh, Rachel Manning 13 years ago. Her boyfriend, Barry White, and his friend, Keith Hyatt, were both wrongly convicted of the crime. Well, we've been uh, talking to various people involved in this, and uh, we've got uh, Richard in Drayton Parslow, who is a defence lawyer. Morning, Richard. Morning. Richard, you, you worked on this case, did you? Yeah, just, just let me um, quickly tell you, I, I'm a retired um, police officer. Right. Um, and then when I retired from the police, I finished off my law degree and then worked for defence lawyers in Bletchley. OK, and so um, what was your involvement with this case, if I can ask? Well, quite heavily involved. Um, as, as a police officer or as a, as a defence no, lawyer? As defence. Right. Defence team. Right. But not, as, not a defence lawyer, just merely okay. assisting. Uh, and what were your thoughts at the time as, as uh, Barry White and Keith Hyatt were being prosecuted? Well, it's easy to say, Ian, but um, once I got um, a great knowledge of, of the case, um, it just, just didn't seem right to me that um, on the evidence, that, which was very flimsy, and most strangely, um, when they were charged with the murder, 
and, and Keith perverting the course of justice, um, they were released on bail, which is very, very odd in murder cases, especially one as horrific as was done to Rachel. So that would imply that, the, that maybe even the court possibly had some doubt, would it? Well, it, it was a strange case, Ian, and um, like I say, it's, it's easy to say now, mm. but on the evidence um, that was available... It, it, it just didn't seem to ring true. And, of course, with this scientific evidence of Professor Pai, um, a very clever man, uh, but unfortunately his evidence was believed, whereas um, the defence scientific gentleman by the name of Owen Facey um, was not believed. Do you and the team, as you, as you watch this case progress and, and, and yeah. you know, it looked like they were going to get sentenced and they did well, get I've sentenced? Always, I've always taken an interest in yeah. it, obviously, from but that first trial. Did you and the team involved kind of look at each other going, this this can't be happening, this is obviously wrong? Well, that's that's what you do, you do say, Ian, but um, then again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yep. You, we could be hoodwinked, you know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Barry and, Barry and Keith you know, could be trying to have us over, but that that was, to be honest, um, I would never have thought that they were capable of such an horrific crime. I'm really trying to put myself in their position and imagine what it's exactly. like to, to lose to lose a friend and a girlfriend, to, right. to lose her in a horrible situation, yeah. and then to go to prison for years for oh, something exactly. that you had nothing to do. And even, even as a retired um, police officer... Um, you know, and I'd been heavily involved in 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 some serious crimes as a, as a detective sergeant. Um, you still do not um, just you, you always you always think of the villain. Nine times out of ten, that we we get the or the police get the right person, but um, there was just something about this case that just didn't um, add up. Why couldn't the coppers see what you could see? W- were they, do you think that perhaps they were just determined to get a conviction? Or I, that, That's my, that's my, my view, mm. is that, um, you know, once they'd been charged, um, there was, well, barely circumstantial evidence, but certainly prior to Professor Pye coming on the scene um, with this uh, forensic evidence... Um, there was nothing. Richard, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, <clears throat> get in touch with us this morning. Richard in Drayton Parsler was a defence lawyer. He's part of a def- the f- defence team uh, involved in the case. And it, it really is incredible. And just to uh, reiterate, Barry White, uh, Keith, I had nothing to do with it. They lost a friend. They lost a girlfriend in the most horrific of circumstances. So not only are they dealing with that loss, they're mourning that loss, they then get sent to prison for it. Wow, just an incredible story. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, it, it's front page news, guys. Hey, you know Pippa? Yeah, that one. Pippa Middleton. She used to fancy her hockey teacher. It's just an excuse for some of the newspapers to print pictures of her and Kate as sixteen-year-old girls in hockey uniforms. That leaves me feeling slightly uncomfortable. But it's got us on the subject of who you used to fancy. Did you ever uh, ever have a crush on a teacher? Mrs Routledge for me. Miss Kingshot for a certain extent, although she hated me, which in some ways made it a little bit sexier. Uh, Sophie Solaria is out and about. Sophie, did you have a crush on a teacher? Oh, just a few. Steady on who? Mr Nicholson, the PE teacher. Mr Washington, the geography teacher. 
Oh, I don't want to go on. They no. might be listening. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, what have you got for us, Soph? What have I got for you? Yeah, what have you got for us? <laughs> I've, got no, I've got no script in front of me, so oh, we're, we're, we're winging fine. this. So that, that's absolutely We're fine. winging it. I went out today, a little bit uncomfortable initially, asking people if they had a, a, a crush on their teacher. But, you know, people weren't as uh, awkward to tell me as I thought they were. Have a listen. Did you ever have a crush on a teacher? Yeah, I was in Oxford, slept with my English teacher. You did not? I did. How old were you? Um, I was 24. Oh, 24. Oh, good. Nothing indecent, then. What did you like about her? <laughs> what did she like about me? <laughs> I don't think I want to admit to that. Who did you fancy? The economics teacher. Why? He was young and quite good-looking. You're getting shy and embarrassed <laughs> thinking about him, aren't you? How old were you? Yeah, I was 17. You're to me now, 55. I can't remember that long ago. You can't remember if you no. had a crush on a teacher? I'm going to help you. Remember your English class? Yeah. Was she pretty, that lady? It was a man. Okay. Yes, Mr McDonald, the PE teacher at my school in rugby. PE teachers are the best, they? are. (laughs) What did he look like? Gorgeous, really dark. A bit young, what's his name, Hasselhoff. Gorgeous. Was it like a scene from Baywatch every time he entered the changing room? Yes! Well, Sophie, uh, it, 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 you've got a real thing for PE teachers, haven't you? I can't help it. Well, uh, it's, uh, and, and having a crush is fine, mm. isn't it? That's, every, every, your, your hormones are racing through your body. You're discovering who you are and what you are. <laughs> having a little crush is fine. Absolutely. As long as it doesn't go any further, I think. Of that's, course. That's, that's of course. the thing. There we go, you see. Well, thank you for that, Sophie. Although there was one teacher. who I, No, I can't. Uh, on Facebook, uh, Zahida says, oh, OMG. And my team reliably informed me it means, oh my God, I never fancied a teacher. How rank is that? Rank? Really? Uh, and Richard says, uh, Mrs. Topa, sports teacher from Thomas More Upper. She wore short skirts and sexy socks. Is, now, it's, are there really such things as sexy socks? I don't, I, even in my, I'm trying to think sexy socks. No, it doesn't do it for me. Everyone couldn't wait for sports day and all brought kit instead of having for, uh, detention if forgot. Uh, well, there you go, you see. Uh, th- don't forget, dear listener, I've mentioned this before, I should mention it again. I'm, I'm, I'm happily happy to, to plug the business as much as I can. There is a podcast of this show. The way it works is we, during the week, as the show's going on, I kind of jot down bits that I think are quite good and, and that you might want to listen to again. The team do as well. We have a little chat afterwards, and then we fling a piece of paper at Kelly Betts. Kelly Betts uh, is the person responsible for the podcast. She puts it all together. We record some new bits and pieces to go in between, and then it comes out on a Friday, uh, around about one o'clock, two o'clock. Um, and uh, you can get that from the BBC Three Counties website. Or if you go into iTunes, uh, you type in Ian Lee, BBC, it pops up and you can subscribe to it one a week. They're about 45, 50 minutes, an hour long sometimes. Uh, and I thoroughly re- uh, lots. I think JVS is in it twice this week. I think he's. I think you've made the grade twice. I know it's mainly just me and him giggling. Don't expect too much. John's in Milton Keynes. John, you're the last voice on the show today. What have you got for me? Morning. Yeah, I fancied my biology teacher. I fancied her rotten. I was 13 years old, yep. and I think she must have been about 30. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, I, I, I left a love letter on her desk before <laughs> class. No, you didn't. And it was an anonymous love letter that I hand wrote. Okay, and she looked at me kind of weird during the class and called me up afterwards. And you're thinking, hello, here we go, this is it? I'm thinking, hello, here we go, but anyway, and she gave me my cards basically from that that particular conversation, and I was heartbroken shortly afterwards because I heard that she had a fling with the PE teacher in his his dressing room. John, in his dressing room, wow, a very theatrical school. John, thank you very much. What was it, the PE teacher was 
always copping off with uh, other teachers in the school, weren't they? I remember that. Very brave of you, John, to, to imagine that. You're a 13-year-old lad. You leave a, leave a love letter on the desk of the teacher you fancy at the end of class. John, come and see me after the class. You're thinking, oh, hello. You get attention for it. Let's get the travel with Russell. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the A421 is still closed eastbound on the Great Barford Bypass. It's about a mile, about half a mile before the Black Cat Roundabout, where a couple of vehicles are involved in an accident, so that causing queues. Slow each way on the A1 towards the Black Cat Roundabout as well, plus there's a delay on the southbound approach to the Sandy Roundabout. It's very slow. A1M southbound junction 9 to 7 from Letchworth to Stevenage. Then there are queues around South Mims. M25, there's a lane blocked clockwise in, where there's an accident involving a number of vehicles between junctions 24 and 25 through the roadworks between Potter's Bar and the A10. It's also looking slow 22 to 23 towards the A1 and anti-clockwise queuing 27 to 25 from the M11 round to the A10. Russell Holding, BBC Three Counties Radio. Excellent stuff, Russell. Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who took part in the show today. Uh, th- 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 that um, murder story is really... Um, oh, said shivers down my spine. Incredible story. JVS is up next from me until tomorrow at six. Ta-ta. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday, and on today's big phone-in, what do you think would put children off smoking? Graphic images of rotten lungs and mouldy teeth don't deter young people from...